Today's episode of True Crime Tuesday is brought to you by Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash darkness. That's mintmobile.com slash darkness. Welcome in to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Got an exciting show for today. I teased you a couple weeks ago that uh, our guest, Ron Shepsuk, would be with us. We're going to talk about an interesting case about a serial killer you may or may not heard of, Henry Lewis Wallace. Ron has a book out there right now that I had the pleasure of reading a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're going to bring it to you today. And in this book, folks, is thrilling from beginning to end. And I want to tell you a little bit about it in in just a second, and we'll get into it in just a second. The name of the book is Bad Henry, The Murderous Rampage of the Taco Bell Strangler. It's available by Wild Blue Press, and we're going to get into that in a moment. I want to tell you a little bit about Ron, our guest, Ron Shepsuk. He's an option screenwriter and the award-winning author of numerous books, three of them optioned for movies. He's also a two-time Fulbright scholar to Indonesia and Bangladesh and a former instructor in UCLA's Extension Journalism Department. His articles, which number in the thousands, have appeared in such publications as FHM, USA Today, Black Enterprise, Woman's World, Modern Maturity, New York Times Syndicate, Toronto Star, Los Angeles Times Syndicate, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, and others. Uh, is an expert in crime history. He's also a consultant to the Gangland TV series and has been interviewed on numerous TV programs, including Discovery, NBC Dateline, Biography, ID, Black Entertainment Television, Stars, and TV One. As a journalist, Ron has reported from more than 35 countries, including Cuba, Northern Ireland, Colombia, Kenya, Hong Kong, and Nepal, and his uh, 16,000 plus Interviews include such luminaries as Jerry Adams, Yasser Arafat, John Kerry, Jimmy Carter, Abby Hoffman, a former president of Nicaragua and three former presidents and two vice presidents of Columbia, South America. Uh, you know what? Let's bring him on board because he's got a rich history. I want to talk to him a little bit about it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome in for the first time to True Crime Tuesday, Ron Shepsuk. Ron, thank you so much for being on the program today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate you being uh, with us and being patient with us. It's taken a little bit of uh, a little bit to get you here, but I, I appreciate uh, you being with us. Um, and we should explain because we have we have some audiophile snobs out there. We've got you by phone today, and 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 uh, we're having a little bit of uh, computer issues because that happens. Computer right. issues happen all the time. So I appreciate you joining us by phone today as well. That I I, I really do appreciate you uh, making the exception and, and getting with us so we can have you on. I've been anxious to get you on, Ron, because. This book is amazing. We're going to get to this book in just a moment, uh, Bad Henry. I really enjoyed this book, and I encourage people to go out and get the book before your appearance today so that they could kind of follow along with us today and uh, on this discussion. I want to talk about your background first, Ron. First of all, I, you know, I, I started out over 30 years ago as a radio guy and, and did some radio news, some journalism, not as much as you, my friend, <laughs> hardly as much as you. Um but I want to talk about your 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 journalism background, your interviewing background, 
in the art of the interview, I've always been fascinated with the art of the interview. And I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about opening someone up when it comes to an interview. And you've you've interviewed some dignitaries in in your day, some really famous, fascinating people. I want to ask you this first, Ron. What does it take to interview someone with an ego, someone who could close down in a minute? What does it take to open them up and to get some of the juiciest quotes, to get some of the best information? What does it take to reach into their soul and pull that out? Well, that was poetic. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy interviewing. I got my own. I got my own radio show too, Crime Beat, uh, which been on for about eleven years. But uh, I always tell, like my students when I was uh, teaching, that uh, the, the best uh, the best um, uh, technique that you can use is is, is two things: uh, listen rather than talk. You know, listen to the other person, and I always use we. You know, I, I really uh, don't like these um, interviewers on TV, like you see them on Sunday. They always say, I, I, I. You know, mm-hmm. it's not about them and the uh, and the interviewee. It's about the audience and the interviewee. And if you establish uh, empathy with the other, other uh, audience, uh, they will open up. And as far as the ego is concerned, that doesn't bother me because, uh, you know, most people, like, a lot of people you're talking to are really, really important, and they're all going to have, have an ego. And uh, if you learn how to, you know, just, you know, ask the right questions, uh, be sincere, and then and uh, and be interested, I think you'll you'll come off. And uh, I really, you know, I've, I've had thousands of interviews, and uh, I have a hard time recalling a bad interview that I've done. You know, where I I said, "Wow, man!" I get off the phone or or left the room and said, "Wow, man! I wish I could do that again on that." Really? Well, what? What, yeah, what is yeah. the, what is the the key to a good interview as, as opposed to a bad interview? I know what a bad interview is. I, I mean, a bad interview eats the card, so to speak. But what makes a good interview? And, and yeah, repeating I, I told you, it, I, yeah, you know, the thing is, is you know, eye contact and listen, and and you know, look empathetic. You know, whatever the whatever the um, uh, interviewee is saying to you, you know, look like you're really interested and look like you're you're empathetic on that and uh, and listen and like i said use we uh you know talk about we and 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 draw the audience into the interview and uh you know uh i mean nothing can go there's always something to go wrong you know with an interview because mm-hmm. you know you're dealing with uh, with people and uh it's spontaneous but uh i think that uh, you know if you follow you know those te- techniques uh most of the interviews that you do will will uh, will, will be successful What's the most interesting tidbit you've drawn out of someone in an interview that absolutely has just floored you, but you've had to continue on and, and kind of gather it together and keep it together during an interview? Well, it's interesting. I interviewed uh, back in the early 80s. I was in Northern Ireland. And, you know, the trouble was really bad back then mm-hmm. uh, 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 between the Catholics and the Protestants. I ended up interviewing Jerry Adams. Um, and Jerry uh, Adams later became a prominent uh, a parliamentarian for Northern Ireland. But at the time, he was uh, associated with Sinn Féin, and he was sort of the, the face of, of Sinn Féin, which is the political wing of the IRA. And uh, I was interviewing him, and he was very smooth and all that. And uh, there had been a shipment of weapons coming off the coast of, uh, of England um, from Libya that were supposedly uh, uh, destined for uh, IRA 
uh, uh, Republican hand on that. And so I just, you know, I kind of asked a very innocuous question. And I said, um, uh, you know, I asked him about that. I said, uh, uh, is there any truth to uh, the, uh, the statement that uh, this has to do with the uh, with the IRA, with the IRA and all that, and it, for some reason it really set him off. I mean, he just, he just you know looked at me and he sort of stumbled over that because he was very smooth until then. And then uh, he looked up and uh, I knew this guy had had killed at one time, mm-hmm. you know, back because he had this just really incredibly murderous look in his eyes, and he said, uh, "Let's move on." <laughs> wow. And of course, we moved on. On that, so it was uh, it was really uh, uh, you know sort of chilling on that, and uh, I've interviewed um, uh, I interviewed some uh, some Protestant uh, paramilitaries in Northern Ireland, and I had one one interview there where uh, I was sort of indirectly threatened uh, with, because of my minor questioning on that, and uh, but 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 really um, I've had you know I've had. Pretty lucky, I guess, because I've, I've had pretty good success with uh, with people I talked to. See, that was my next question here, Ron. Is have you ever felt like your life was in danger during some of these interviews? No, you know, no. I've I've um, I've never really had a situation where uh, I I was saying, "Wait a minute, you know, how am I going to get out of this?" On that, um, I, I could get it. I think I'm pretty lucky on that. And I guess a lot of it has to do with attitude too. You know, if you have a you know positive attitude. And uh, you know, aren't uh, apprehensive about anything. You know, maybe that helps you. You know, in terms of dealing with any potential danger. Is it because a part of the interview involves trust? When you when you reach out to an interviewee and you're sitting down, that trust is built in that interview, and therefore, there's a certain amount of safety that's involved there. Yeah, you have to have a sense of trust with the uh, with the interview uh, with the interviewee on that. Um, and um, you know, how do you build trust? Well, again, everything I said, you know, eye contact, you know, empathetic look, um, you know, um, always ask open-ended questions. Ne- never lead the uh, interview interviewee towards a question, towards an answer. You know, always keep it open-ended, you know, rather than say, um, you know, for example, uh, did you kill her? You know. You say uh, you can say something like, you know, uh, the police had you at the scene. Did you have anything to do with it? You know what I mean? Something like that. Just you keep it open ended, so it gives them a chance to to, uh, to to answer the question comfortably. At some point in the interview, you do want to get somewhat, I I don't want to say abrasive, but maybe you want to play devil's advocate with an interviewee, and you want to kind of turn up the heat a little bit is that part of your style or do you tend to be more of an ally to an interviewee when you're sitting with them well you gotta ask tough questions you know yeah. eventually you know if you're in the, in, in the uh interviewee with like with a serial killer you're gonna ask eventually ask tough questions about about that but the, uh, one of the things that, that i do when, when i have tough questions i always ask them at the end you know, oh, okay. rather than kill the interview at the beginning, you know, starting off with to kill your wife. <laughs> yeah. You, know, yeah. you could, you could, you could sort of lead into that, you know, for about 40 minutes or so. And then by the end, say, oh, we got to talk about this. I'm sorry, but did you, you know, did you have anything to do with your wife's death? You know, which is a lot, a lot softer than saying, did you kill your wife, right? Right. I, uh, of course, you're going to want to gain, gain some trust there and, and bring them in and then, 
you know, try to get that information yeah. forward, obviously, obviously. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how you got into crime and then eventually the Crime Beat radio show. Uh, let's, uh, how, what what spawns the actual love of true crime and, and crime itself, Ron? I mean, obviously, you go from the political background and... I mean, I hate to put crime, you know, politics and crime together. I mean, there's a natural uh, stepping stone there. But what is that love of crime and and why the switch to crime? You know, I didn't didn't sell my first article uh, until I was uh, 35. You know, I really didn't start writing until I was in my mid-30s. I was an academic before that, you know, a full professor Mm -hmm. at the university in South Carolina. And I started writing when I was a full professor and all that. Uh, but in 1987, um, I, I was, I was, uh, invited on this, uh, uh, trip to, um, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, Columbia, uh, South America. And at that time, you know, Columbia was in the midst of a, of this war with Escobar, right? Mm-hmm. Escobar. Yep. Uh, he was involved in a campaign called uh, narco-terrorism. You know, he, he sort of, uh, spawned that word. And, uh, the Avionc Airlines, which is the National Airlines of Columbia, thought that they still got on the tourist trade, so they invited uh, some journalists to come on, hoping that you know they would see the country and, and write you know write something positive on that. So I was involved on there, and then my last day, I was I was uh, bumped off the flight, uh, and uh, ended up um, meeting uh, with with a woman who became my wife oh, wow. on a blind date. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I got on a plane, made it home, and I started this romance with her, and I came back uh, to Columbia, and uh, and when I went to Columbia, I was getting writing assignments, you know, from, from newspapers, mm-hmm. like USA Today, St. Petersburg Times, Orlando Sentinel, and a bunch of other, you know, publications, and I was writing about uh, Columbia, because, you know, there's a lot of interest in it, on that, and uh, eventually ended up marrying um, um, uh, Magdalena, and... Uh, and I, I went there, and uh, Escobar was, like, dominating the headlines. But there was another cartel. Uh, he headed, uh, Escobar had headed the Medellin cartel. But there was another cartel called the Cali cartel, uh, which was slowly gaining power and eventually uh, surpassed Escobar as the, as the leading drug cartel in Colombia. And um, uh, mid-'90s, I, I said, God, it would be interesting. I said, uh, no one's written a book about the Cali cartel because, you know, that was their style. You know, they, they kept out of that. They kept out of the news. They kept a very low profile, but the, the, the um, authorities eventually caught up with them and uh, put them out of business about the mid nineties. And uh, I said, I got to write about this, and uh, so I ended up um, getting a, a book contract and wrote a book called Drug Lords: The Rise and Fall of the Cali Cartel on that, and uh, it was it was successful. And uh, when I finished that book, I said, I got to do another book. And I was a big fan of uh, the black exploitation movies from the 1970s. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, like, you know, you know, like uh, uh, Superfly, Black Caesar. And Shaft. Uh, and yep. Harlem and all that. Yep. And, 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 yeah. And so I said, uh, um, you know, I got to I got to find a book about that to read about that uh, to find out you know, how those movies started, you know, who did them and all that. And uh, I couldn't find a, a book. But then I noticed that a lot of the books, a lot of the, the, the a lot of the gangsters upon which uh, the movies were were, were modeled on uh, operate in Harlem, and um, so I, I looked there and I said, God, 
this would be great to do a book on Harlem. And um, I did a, a book called Gangsters of Harlem, uh, which uh, dealt with, all, with, uh, with, with criminals, you know, tracing the history of the, of, uh, of the, the neighborhood. And then um, the, the publisher really liked the book, and she said, you got anything else? And uh, I said, you know, why not do another book about black gangsters? Because there wasn't really that many books out there. So I ended up doing a book on black gangsters in Chicago. And uh, by then, I, you know, I was getting a reputation as a crime historian. Mm-hmm. So I sort of backed into it, and I started getting invited on, on TV shows, you know, to talk about uh, 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 gangsters. And, um, and in my book, uh, Gangsters of Harlem, I profile Frank Lucas, you know, who was the... American Gangster movie. Yes. Um, yep. Subject of that. And um, uh, so that got me a lot of assignments. And so by the third book, I was sort of an expert <laughs> or, you know, on, in crime or, or so that I was, you know, considered that by, by the, by the uh, uh, media. And uh, I decided to, you know, continue writing about, about that and ended up writing old school books, uh, Gangsters in Miami. I did a book on, um, uh, the real Mr. Big. I collaborated with this uh, Colombian drug uh, drug lord named uh, Jesus uh, Ruiz Hanau, uh, who was the first billion dollar cocaine trafficker in the United Kingdom. I did his his book, and um, so you know, it, 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 by then I was established as a crime historian. So that's how I got to be a crime historian. Wow. And, and I, I talk about just uh, you know you, you catch that wave and you're you're off and running and and man I mean you talk about some big 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 uh, criminals and drug lords that you you run into on the, on the way um, I've got some interesting interesting ties to Frank Lucas I'll talk to you about uh, off air I mean our audience is familiar with them but. But we'll talk off air about right. that. Yeah, and I ended up interviewing him twice, and then really? I ended up uh, writing the book. Um, uh, collaborated with uh, Ike Atkinson, who was a real uh, um, American gangster. You know, uh, he was the character Nate in the movie American Gangster. Yeah, and Lucas essentially uh, stole a lot of part of the story. And um, I ended up doing, uh, collaborating with Ike on his book uh, called Sergeant Smack. Uh, which I think is my best book, by the way, on yeah. that. And um, it, it's an amazing story. I mean, just amazing. Wow. That, that is awesome. That is, that is something else. I, I, I'm, I'm speechless right now, Ron. That's all I can say. I'm speechless. Um, I, I, uh, I may pick up those books this weekend. I, 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 uh, I got to admit, I haven't read them, but I want to read them. I, I, uh, I, have, a, I have a familial tie there. So it, uh, my stepdad, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and say it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it after the show. My stepdad yeah. and his brothers worked for Frank Lucas. So, um, Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, uh, it was part of his past that he had put behind. My stepdad has been passed away now for uh, probably about 12 years now. So, were, were they based in New Jersey? Uh, well, to start with, they were in, in Harlem and in the Bronx. They had worked out of there. Um, but yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he ended up moving out to Minnesota because he, uh, let's just say he got high on his own supply towards the end. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. But he, he yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. But his, uh, his, um, his uncle actually worked for the police department. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, his, his, uh, Collaborator Richie Roberts, mm-hmm. who yep. was 
played by Russell Crowe in the movie. I interviewed him for my show, and he just did a book. You may be interested in, in doing doing something with him. I'll give you his contact info. Most definitely. That that would be yeah, that would be great. I would appreciate that. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's let's uh, make that transition. That I, although there's there's so much good stuff here. You know, you you've also talked to uh, Joe Pistone. Donnie Brasco, uh, you, you've had some Henry Hill. You've had some great. Uh, you've had some man. You're you're <laughs> Chris Kyle, the American Sniper. You, you've had some really rich, uh, I, for lack of a better term, some some really rich characters when it comes to American yeah. crime and 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 the the American crime scene. Uh, yeah, when it comes to not just the Crime Beat radio show, which, by the way, tell people, um, Ron, how they can listen to Crime Beat. Yeah, they go to the Artist First uh, radio network, Artist First, and uh, they can go to the website, www.artistfirst.com. And uh, I won't give you the full Crime Beat address. All you do is go to the artistfirst.com website. You just scroll to Thursday at 8 p.m. and you'll see Crime Beat. You click on Crime Beat and there's a whole bunch of information including uh, past shows. All our shows are archived. We have, we have more than 630 shows on there. And um, um, yeah, you can just uh, uh, click to, click on the show or, or watch or, or listen to the show uh, after you know, we post the show, after the live show. And uh, so and all our shows are posted there. You can listen to Joe Stone and Henry Hill and Chris Kyle. That's great. And that, some of the other people, Robert Kennedy had done. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, um, um, a bunch of other people as well. There you go. I, so there you go. There's history itself right there. So uh, go check that out and check out some of Ron's, uh, radio shows, crime beat there. And, uh, and we'll put a link up in the description of this program. So you can, you can click on that link and you can, you can, uh, go check out those shows for yourself. <laughs> The book, uh, which we're here to talk about today, is about Henry Louis Wallace, and the book is is Bad Henry, the Murderous Rampage of the Taco Bell Strangler. And I tell you what, here's what we'll do, Ron. Let's take our break here. When we come back, let's get into the book. Again, the book is fascinating, Ron. I, 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 uh, I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book, and, and the way you put it together was just great. I, I, I had a... A thoroughly uh, enjoyable time reading, as much of an enjoyable time as you can have reading a book about a serial killer, but um, right. really, really well put together. So I tell you what, when we come back, we're going to get into this case of Henry Lewis Wallace. We're going to talk a little bit about his upbringing when we come back, and we'll talk about why someone who's so congenial, someone who's so nice, it seems, to, to the people around him is so evil. And how he got away for so long with his crimes and was and, and, and went about going about his crimes unnoticed in a time where it seems like serial killers should have been picked out rather easily. Why he was such an uncommon suspect for being a serial killer. We'll talk about that as well. Henry Lewis Wallace is, is who we're focusing on today. Again, the name of the book is Bad Henry, The Murderous Rampage of the Taco Bell Strangler. Our guest is author and researcher Ron Shepsuk. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Bad Henry here on The Best in True Crime, True Crime Podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. When we come back, 
want to tell you a little bit more about Henry Louis Wallace. Why is he not the candidate for a serial killer that we think he would be? He's a nice guy, sure. But why is it that the FBI, why is it that even the East Charlotte police say he isn't the guy we're looking for? We'll talk to our guest, Ron Shepsuk, about who Henry Louis Wallace was, why did he get away with his crimes so often, and what was his downfall? Henry Louis Wallace next, Bad Henry, here on True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is Ron Shepsuk. The book is Bad Henry, The Murderous Rampage of the Taco Bell Strangler. And folks, we've got a link in the description of this program. I encourage you, if you didn't pick it up a couple weeks ago when we were talking about it here on the program, to go get this book right away. It's out by Wild Blue Press right now. And Ron, again, I'm going to heap a lot of praise on you about this book throughout the program. I thoroughly enjoyed I thoroughly enjoyed this book. Um, again, well put together. It is uh, it's an it's it's an enthralling read throughout from beginning to end. I want to ask you just first, and we'll kind of set the scene for people. Who was Henry Louis Wallace? Henry Louis Wallace uh, uh, was born in um, Barnwell, uh, South Carolina, and uh, it's a town. Um, about 6,000 people, real small town, half of which uh, are black. And um, he had a really tough, tough uh, upbringing. I mean, uh, his mother, uh, Lottie Mae um, Wallace, uh, was, uh, uh, was very brutal with them. You know, she, uh, she took out her, her, her bad things in life on him. She wasn't, she wasn't very successful with men. Mm-hmm. And uh, she treated... Uh, her son uh, very poorly, and uh, he had a sister named Yvonne, and uh, she would have them uh, uh, beat each other up uh, uh, for pleasure on that, and uh, he would have to carry out the uh, the, the waste because uh, there was no no indoor plumbing, and in, it was like really a shack that they lived in, and uh, and uh, he was abused by by young girls in his neighborhood when he was a, a kid, but you never know this about that. This was, it was amazing. You know, he went to school. He ended up on the student council. Yeah. He was a cheerleader. He was the only uh, black cheerleader uh, among them. And, uh, his fellow cheerleaders, uh, just loved him. I, I talked to one, uh, who, who, uh, coincidentally living in my, my hometown. Mm-hmm. And she was shocked to hear that he had become a serial killer because she said he was really a nice guy. Just, you know, he would listen to you, to their problems. Uh, he was very empathetic with them. He even he even drove the school bus. Really, you know, the school bus and um, uh, students all around on that. And uh, he did pretty good uh, in in college. He wasn't great, but he wasn't a poor student on that. And he ended up uh, uh, going to uh, going to uh, to college. He tried college, and um, uh, he decided that. Uh, well, 1985, that he would join the U.S. Navy. And uh, that same year, he married uh, his sweetheart, um, Marietta Branham. Um, in, um, uh, and in, uh, in 1988, uh, he, he ended up being honorably discharged from the Navy. But during this period, uh, his troubles began. Uh, while he was uh, uh, stationed in the Seattle area, uh, he ended up breaking in 
into places and he got caught and he was given two years probation for breaking into a hardware store. And, uh, uh, he didn't learn from that. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, probation officers, uh, said that, uh, you know, he never showed up uh, for, you know, uh, for, uh, his meetings with him on that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And, uh, he got out of, uh, the Navy and, uh, he ended up, uh, uh, back in, uh, in, uh, Barnwell. And, uh, that's when his, uh, his first, uh, foray into serial killing began. Um, when, uh, he ended up, uh, meeting, uh, Tashan de Bethea, a young, uh, Barnwell high school student. And, uh, he was enthralled with her. And, uh, uh, finally he got her to, to, uh, join him in his, in his car. And he took her out to a lake and all that. And he put the, put the make on her. And, uh, she, she threatened to, uh, you know, to, to, uh, uh, turn him in, uh, for his, uh, uh, aggression. And, uh, uh, when she saw the look in his eyes, evidently, uh, she just, you know, backtracked and said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But by then it was too late. He ended up, uh, strangling her and, um, and, uh, dumping her body in the lake. And, uh, it was quite interesting because, uh, I talked to some of the cops that, uh, that, uh, uh investigated the case. Mm-hmm. And, um, they said that, you know, Henry was a strong suspect right from the beginning because he was with her. He was the last people to see her. He may have been the last person to see her on that, but they couldn't, um, they couldn't pin anything on him. And, um, and eventually he ended up, uh, uh, leaving, uh, the city and, uh, heading for Rock Hill, which is my hometown here where his, uh, his, uh, sister lived. And he even got into trouble here. Uh, there was a, a, a charge of attempted rape against him, which never amounted to anything. And, uh, he ended up, uh, leaving that city. He always seemed to stay one step ahead of the law, and he ended up in Charlotte, where, where most of his crimes were committed. Now, the thing about him in the beginning, Ron, isn't it safe to say that... Now, would you say that these first killings were mistakes, or do you think, when you look back on it, that these were intentional? Well, well I think he had... He, I think he hated the female... <laughs> He hated females because of his background. Okay. You know, because of the abuse he, he suffered with, but from the way his mother treated him. And I think that the, uh, the killing with, with the Shonda, um, Bethea, I think was just an impulsive, uh, just an impulsive killing. And later on, um, uh, he ended up, uh, um, uh, killing, uh, some woman for, for different purposes. Uh, there was rage. You know, with, with some of them, um, he needed money because he became a, a crack addict. That, that was his big downfall. He became really hooked on crack and drugs. And, um, and, uh, there was various reasons later on. There was really no one reason why he killed. But I think in the beginning, they were impulsive murders and he did them because he just hated the, uh, the opposite rage and he had this pent up, pent up anger against, uh, against females. Now, it it seems like when when as I'm reading the book and I'm and I'm reading this this chapter with Tashanda, there's almost like a a fear at first as as things are happening, but then that fear becomes almost an elation as as he's 
done finishing the act as as PG as I can put it. And after he finishes killing, does he discover this in this moment with Tashanda, or do you think that he is killed before? Well, that that's interesting because um, um, they suspected that that he only that he would uh, he went beyond the ten women that he killed in in Charlotte, and uh, he traveled a lot in the Navy. You know, he was stationed at various places, mm-hmm. and uh, I talked to. Uh, one cop that thought that he could have possibly ended up killing uh, a woman in other places, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just besides Charlotte and on that. Um, but I, but I never found any evidence on that, and I don't really think. I think he was limited to what he did in Charlotte between 1992 and 1994, when, it was when he uh, uh, ended up killing you know, the nine women that he did on that then. But uh, uh, I don't really think that, that he had any other... Uh, he did any other killings besides the ones that uh, he was charged with. So in your mind, with your experience, why does it push him to, to kill Tashanda initially? Is it, is it truly fear that he's going to be caught for rape or is it the fact that he thinks he can get away with one? Well, he, he was, you know, he was totally, what, what was amazing is that he, he was totally, he was reckless in a lot of ways. Uh, as you as you read the book, you'll see that when 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 he continues with his uh, murderous rampage on that end. But uh, he was reckless with uh, with that. Even uh, you know Kashanda, you know he ended up killing this woman in a town of six thousand, right? Mm-hmm. And he's one of the one of the few women, few men seen with her, you know. Uh, and um, they even suspect that he had something to do with it, and he and he still got away. I mean, he got away. I mean, they couldn't pin anything on him. Uh, the, the investigating detective who I talked to said that they, they wanted to charge him, but they had nothing to keep, nothing to hold him on, on that sort of stuff, on on that. So it was really, it was really amazing with like Shonda uh, this day because you know how many murders occur in in Barnwell, right? Town of six thousand. Yeah. On that, so uh, he and like I said, he always he moved. Uh, he stayed one step ahead of the law. You know, he moved from. From there to Rock Hill, then he ended up getting in trouble in Rock Hill, and then he ended up going moving to Charlotte, which is like thirty miles away, you know, from from Rock Hill. Now, where his uh, mother lived. True, very true. Now, in in the Navy, he gets introduced to, I believe, it's crack, right? So he's he's already under yeah, the influence yeah. of drugs. Yeah, yeah, he started uh, on crack, and uh, it it, uh, but he was on he, marijuana. In one of his psych reports, he uh, uh, said that he was at one point drinking 16 beers a day, you know. Uh, so he had a, a, an, an addiction problem uh, to drugs. And, uh, and, uh, but, yeah, he started off in, in, uh, 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 in, in the Navy and uh, ended up being a you know, uh, heavy abuser of, uh, of drugs and alcohol. And uh, it wasn't, you know, really... Uh, extreme when he when he started off, but but uh, the longer he stayed in Charlotte, uh, and uh, at that point, of course, you know, crack was becoming really big. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the early '90s, and yeah. crack was sweeping the country on that sort of stuff, and so he had easy access to it. And and uh, it was you know he worked in um, in fast food restaurants on that, so he didn't have much money. But you don't have to have a lot of money to use crack, right? Right. I right. mean, you get a rock for like ten dollars and all that sort of stuff. 
So that, that I think, contributed to his uh, addiction on that. And, of course, he did cocaine. You know, he had access to cocaine, but that was more expensive. So uh, I think crack really, really did him in. I think I'll ask you this question now. This is normally a question I'd reserve for the end of the program, but you've got a guy here who's addicted to crack cocaine, an easy drug to get. Um, he's struggling for money at times. I mean, mind you, he he's he started out in Charlotte working in, in fast food restaurants, hence the, the name Taco Bell Killer or Strangler, right? Right, right, yeah, right. Several of the people, that, several of the women that he killed uh, had a connection to Taco Bell. You know, they either worked there or had friends that worked there or knew Wallace who worked there. And and we'll get into that here in a moment. Um, but he he's, and this is the question I have for you, Ron. Now, is the urge, and, and we're going to get into a little bit of a psychological thing here, is the urge to kill fueled internally? Is it a mental thing? Or do the drugs bring out that evil side? Do you believe that he was drug-fueled in killing, or would he have done this had he not had the drugs in his system? Well, I think that he, he, he probably might have still been doing it if he didn't use drugs. You know what I mean? Because, you know, he was a very, very uh, clever killer. I mean, he uh, yeah, he always covered up the scene. Mm-hmm. You know, he would wash the, the bodies. He, he, he'd wipe off knobs and uh, furniture for fingerprints and that sort of stuff on that. And uh, he was very, very careful. But like I said, uh, you know, he got he, he got deeper into drugs. And uh, also, too, you know, he was uh, paranoid about getting caught. And uh, he would go, after he killed a woman, he'd go home and, and turn on the news and uh, wait for a report on the killing. And nothing ever happened. You know, the police, the police didn't catch on. And so that made him sort of arrogant, you know, and made him uh, overconfident about uh, his ability to get away with, uh, with with the killings. One of the things about Henry Louis Wallace, and we, we kind of touched on it here just a moment ago, is that the women he killed, he was familiar with because they were in his sphere of influence. So if you would, tell us a little right. bit about how Henry Lewis Wallace began to to know these women. So he, he the first couple he knew from the fact that they were friends or they were they were friends of friends. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, he he, uh, he worked with, with a lot of them. You know, he was either a manager or he worked in, in a restaurant uh, and uh, they were there. You know, they, they were they were all good, all good young young woman. You know, they're all from about 20 to 35. There was one that was 35, but most of them were in their early 20s. They were, they were uh, hardworking, you know, so they were struggling, um, you know, to, to make, uh, to make the rent and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and he met him. And, uh, like I said, he, he had that personality that, that made woman, uh, uh confident that, you know, that, uh, that he was a good guy and, uh, and, uh, they trusted him. You know, they even you know they left their baby with them. Uh, he would drive them to places, and uh, and so, you know, when the time came, when they ended up being being killed, I mean, that was, that was the last thing on their mind that that Henry that that Henry was going to end up strangling them to death, which is what happened. And in that, not just strangling them, but a lot of them, there was there was rape, there was sexual contact in there too. Yeah, and- yeah, the rape was violent. Uh, yeah, violent rape. Uh, yeah, on that, and uh, 
and uh, like I said, his, his crimes became more, more and more, more violent. He ended up uh, trying to burn a body. He ended up stabbing a woman 38 times uh, near the end. Uh, total rage, and uh, he was coked up. You know, at that point, he had been kicked, uh, kicked out of his uh, uh, house. He had a girlfriend, Sadie McKnight, and she was tired of his drug drug use. And uh, she ended up kicking him out, and so he was depressed about that. And uh, he had sold all of his furniture, and uh, he became, you know, more heavily into drugs, which meant he needed more money, which again spurred his uh, his uh, killing. And uh, it was it was just a vicious cycle for him. And uh, eventually, you know, the cops were clueless for a long period. You know, mm-hmm. they couldn't make the connection on the case. Um, and uh, there's, re- there's various reasons for that. I mean, uh, to be fair, you know, the, uh, the cops had overworked. There was like seven cops handling uh, murders in Charlotte in the early 90s, and there's like an average of like 100 murders a, a year. So you figure that's well, how many murders each? About, about 12, 12 murders each. Yeah. And uh, that they were handled. But uh, to their detriment, you know, they didn't talk to each other. For some reason, they didn't, they didn't say, hey, did uh, do you have anything that connects to this or, or, you know, they didn't share evidence and all that sort of stuff. So it was, you know, they didn't have any clue that, that there was this serial killer, even though the, the serial killing was done within a five mile radius. Can you imagine that? That's you know, crazy. And all the, yeah, right. Five mile radius, which is nothing. And they knew each other too. I mean, I mean, all they had to ask was a few questions and, uh, finally they did. And one person's name showed up, you know, knowing, you know, all these women. That was Henry Wallace. And uh, they went, you know, looking for him. They found a little bit more evidence. Uh, they found uh, uh, a palm print on a on a car. They had him at an ATM. Uh, they didn't have a picture of him, which was not clear, but he had a earring, which uh, they recognized as, as belonging to, to Henry, the, the, the person in the, in the photo and all that. And uh, did a little search on him. Uh, found out he, that he was wanted on on um, a shoplifting charge in one of the local malls, $38 sweater that he shoplifted. And then they, they put it together. And, and by then, you know, it was too late. I mean, he ended up killing. And then and then finally, he ended up killing three women in the same apartment complex. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and, and then by then, you know, it was too late. All these women were dead. One of the things that... that- fascinated me and and keep in mind uh, for our audience the charlotte police department is growing with a city that's growing at that time um yeah yeah it it was becoming a big city it was moving from a small town you know four hundred thousand, which at that time it was mm -hmm. you know small rural town um to a a big city you know and a banking center and uh people were coming in you know the population was was growing you know it was becoming a, a hub for uh for various people and uh, and to the uh, fairness of the cops, I mean, they were making pitches to the city council for for more resources, you know, more technology, more uh, more men, and all that. And they they weren't getting it, you know, they weren't getting it. Uh, they weren't giving them anything to match the growth, to grow the growth of the city. Finally, they did end up uh, increasing the support, but that was like after all the damage had been done, and this was like a year after, and. Uh, Another reason, too, is because of the tremendous uh, uproar it caused in the black community, you know, which thought racism was involved because uh, 
you know, the cops weren't doing anything. You know, they weren't making any connections. They weren't making any progress in the cases. And one of the things I found fascinating that you put in the book is that when when one murder would happen, they'd assign it to one detective. Another murder would happen, they'd assign it to another detective. And yeah. as you brilliantly put it just a few minutes ago here, Ron, none of the pieces were adding up because there wasn't communication between these detectives. Uh, right. Essentially, right. it was right. one one detective over here doing one case, another detective over here doing another case. And yeah, if there's no that. communication, you can't put anything together. Yeah, on that. And, you know, uh, uh, in fairness to, uh, you know, to the, the cops, you know, they, they were overburdened. Yes. You know, they, they were they were overwhelmed because, uh, like I said, there was an increase in murders because of the growth of the city and because of crack. And um, and uh, uh, they were overwhelmed. I mean, it, they didn't have time to make the connection. Not only so that, on, on the case. not only that, but they had they had an overwhelming amount, as you just put it as well of responsibilities that you wouldn't normally put on just a detective that's trying to solve murders. They had other responsibilities yeah. on top of that, correct? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, and you know, uh, when you say responsibility for a case, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff uh, that goes involved with that, time-consuming stuff, mm -hmm. like travel, court time, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, spending hours trying to, trying to, looking at evidence, trying to figure out, you know, what it meant and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, and uh, when you when you, you compound the number of, of murders that each, each one was responsible for, there's a little understanding there uh, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe it wasn't totally the fault of the, uh, of the police department. So they, they streamline things a little bit, they hire more people, they get things going, and they also bring yeah, in... That, uh, was after the, that was after the fact. Right, after like the fact. after. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, after the fact, right? Yeah. Because there's such an uproar right. city from, right. from the you know, black community. He, this happened in East Charlotte, and um, there was a, a lot of outrage. You know, they, they had protests, and and uh, they had meetings, and that sort of stuff. Even, even uh, appointed um, uh, a sergeant, a guy named Gary McFadden, uh, which was a smart move because he was confident uh, to head the investigation of these murders. And he was black. Which is ironic, uh, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he's black. All these women were black. But I asked him about that. I said, you know, point blank, I said, were you uh, appointed to head the investigation because you were black? And he said, yeah. You know, and essentially he said, there's, you know, they're looking for, they're going to look for a fall guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that sort of stuff. But he, but he took, he took the job, and you know, and he, and he did a, you know, commendable stuff, uh, commendable effort in, in getting, getting Wallace uh, off the streets. I suppose Gary McFadden knew it was a, a loaded gun, so to speak. He knew he was coming in with the idea that if he failed, he was the fall guy. If he if he succeeded, he was the hero. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah on that end, but you know, he uh, he went out and and uh, into the community and talked with the people. You know, the community based uh, policing is a big thing now, right? Yes. On that, yeah. and uh, they didn't practice it back then in, in Charlotte, and um, he ended up you know going into the community. And uh, you know, mollifying a lot of the anger that was going on because of the uh, inability of the police to to make any progress on the cases. And it seems like such a simple thing. If you if you want to build community relations, go out into the community and and communicate. I mean, it. But there's a lot of departments that don't do that. Even to this day, there's a yeah. lot of 
a lot of departments that don't do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and I think that creates a lot of the problems between the police and the, and the community. You know, there's there's no sense of trust, right? Right. If they're not talking to each other. Right. And uh, right. You know, there's not going to be any trust on that. Uh, and you think they know better <laughs> because it's proof that it, you know, it works, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it doesn't happen uh, in some cases. It, it's improved, but it's still not, it's still not widespread. Correct. Correct. Um, so it, some of the, some of the most interesting parts of the book, and again, we'll, we'll save this for, uh, our readers to to check this out, but I do want to hint here, Ron, that some of the most interesting parts of the book is after they actually capture Henry and sit him down and get some of his testimony as to uh, it's when the cops sit down and yeah, actually interview yeah, that, him. Yeah, that that was that was very very true, and you know I I had uh, a little uh, problems getting getting people to talk to me. You know mm-hmm. um, that, that the the uh, offspring of the uh, or the relatives of the of the victims you know didn't want to talk about it for obvious reasons you know brought back bad memories and all that sort of stuff and then and the cops wouldn't talk to me either because you know they had, they had such a bad rap on on uh, in, in the case that uh, uh, they just didn't want to talk which was a bad thing on their part they should have talked to me um, but uh, you know all of this uh, uh, there was really um, uh, Oh, just that uh, some of the most intriguing uh, uh, things are, are actually the oh, yeah. words right, of, of right. Henry himself. Right. So, so uh, I, you know, and I was a little worried about, about the, the research, you know, I said, you know, how deep am I going to get into this subject? And, and then um, uh, what happened was, you know, Wallace was uh, captured on uh, March 13th, 1994, and brought in for questioning. And... Uh, Surprisingly, he was very, very talkative, and he ended up talking uh, for 10 hours, incredible stuff on that, and the transcripts were saved, and I got access to them, and uh, that really helped the book on that sort of stuff, because like I said, uh, there are some people I wanted to talk to that uh, that didn't want to talk on that sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. and uh, it it was quite amazing, because he opened up about his life, and he opened up about... uh, you know, how he killed a woman and uh, and how he got away with it so it was it was quite uh, quite interesting on, on the subject and like the court records were not there you know I, I went I went down to the uh, to the uh, courthouse and uh, the, the actual trial transcript was not there either so really that, that was kind of bad on that end but I was able to, to piece together the story from a variety of uh, other sources. Now, when he gets to court, he essentially clams up, doesn't he? Well, yeah, he tried to renege on, uh, or his lawyers did. His lawyers tried to renege on his, uh, his, his confession, put him on to his confession on that sort of thing. But the court upheld it. You know, they said that, uh, you know, that uh, it, it was going to be admitted as evidence and on that sort of stuff. And uh, right from the beginning, you know, the um, the prosecution wanted the death sentence. They wanted this guy to to uh, to pry. And uh, the uh, uh, defense uh, lawyers uh, wanted to uh, to uh, have the charge of uh, a mental incompetence, you know, as as the basis for the for the uh, trial. And uh, uh, there was no deliberate intent because he was mentally ill. What they said and you know, all that sort of stuff. And uh, the court didn't buy it. And um, 
uh, he actually got the uh, the death sentence for each of the murders, plus a bunch of a whole bunch of other crimes. But uh, he was sentenced to be executed in, after the trial in 1997. And uh, you would think, what, maybe eight or nine years, right? Uh, he would go through the appeal, sure, and then he would be executed. But here we are, 27, 28 years later, and he's still on death row. And that was the thing that intrigued me. Um, and I found out that the, uh, the state had put a moratorium on the death sentence. Because, you know, attitudes towards the death sentence have changed, right? Yeah. Over the last couple of years, so many innocent people, you know, have been executed. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, there's a, a real negative feeling towards the death penalty on that. And so I asked, you know, I asked McFadden, for example, Sergeant McFadden, I said, uh, when is he going to be executed, you know? I said, he's been on death row for 27 years. And he said, who knows? Uh, so nobody knows. He, he's exhausted his appeals. The last one, I think, was 2005, you know, and the court said, you know, the, the court ruled against him. So there's really nothing, uh, you know, keeping him from being executed. But here he is. He's on, on death row in Raleigh, North Carolina, and, uh, and uh, you know, living off the, uh, living off the public drop. Hmm. Do you, would it be a shock to you, Ron, if, if we woke up tomorrow and you heard that Henry Louis Wallace was, was executed by the state? Well, I, I think it would be a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, longer than that. They'd first have to announce an execution date, right? Sure. On that. But it happens pretty quickly after that. And, uh, 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 no, not really, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, he, he is, he is uh, uh, up for execution. And uh, uh, I would be surprised, though, if, if, uh, if they would rule uh, that he should be executed. I would, I would be really surprised if that happened. How many of the relatives of the slain women I have passed now since since this uh, verdict has come well, down. There's there's, uh, there's been several uh, people that have died. Several of the mothers uh, and uh, the fathers, and uh, a lot of them are still alive, though. And you know the the, the uh, uh, daughters uh, of the uh, of the victims. There's several of them still around, and then but there's quite a sizable number of uh, of. of uh, people that, that associated with the victim. So there's still enough around. there's still enough people out there that want to see justice in this thing. Yeah, but like I said, uh, it's been such a long time, right? It's been like 27 years and uh, they just, you know, they really just want to you know, put it behind them, really. I mean, uh, they don't really want to uh, talk about it and they don't really want to, you know, have it have any publicity on it and that was one of the problems that I had but I, I did manage to talk to some of the victims um, relatives and um, was able to get together some good information what is Henry Wallace's outlook but, on this does he want to die he has been really really quiet uh, you know I was going to go for an interview with him I was going to try to get an interview with him um, and I talked to the uh, ABC um, network producer, mm-hmm. ABC, mm-hmm. and they had done a documentary on him, uh, which was pretty good. And uh, she told me that uh, that she had tried to get an interview with Wallace, and Wallace didn't even answer her. And really? I thought, well, this is ABC. You know, what are my chances of getting an interview? And I thought about it, how much time it would take, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he's in Raleigh, which is about three and a half hours from where I, I live, in, mm-hmm. in Central Prison there in, on, on death row. And I thought, well, it, it, it wasn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't think it was worth the time. Because I don't think it really added anything to the, um, uh, to the story. You know, if I did get a face-to-face interview, he may try to manipulate me. Sure. You know, like use his charm and all that sort of stuff. But uh, outside of that, I don't think uh, it would have added anything to the story. Do you think he has anything to add? To, well, you've already said you don't think he has anything to add to the story. But if he had anything to add to the story, what do you think it would be? Well, amazingly, uh, when he was uh, convicted and sentenced, he got up in the court <laughs> Which was, you know, uh, the, the, the judge allowed him to stand and make a statement, which sort of shocked the court and all that. And he claimed that he was very remorseful about killing the woman. And if he had to do it again, he, you know, he would he, opportunity to take it back. He would and all that. So, and knowing Wallace, um, uh, his character, and what a manipulator he was, right, mm-hmm. with with, uh, with people. Mm-hmm. You know, he completely fooled so many people. Um, I mean, he ended up going to some of the funerals of his victims. You know, he was he was sitting in the back. You know, while, while the funeral was going on, one of the mothers told me that after her daughter was murdered, she met him in a in a mall, and he he said, oh, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Sumter. You know, to hear about your daughter. She was such a nice girl. <laughs> you know, so he's he's a manipulator." And uh, I'm sure that uh, spending 27 years on death row hasn't changed him at all. That's absolutely ghoulish. It's psychotic to to go up to somebody that you know you killed and, and yeah. to go up to their 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 survivor and and and, and apologize and just and not know and and not mean it. You know what like I mean? The title says, like the title says, "Bad Henry." I could substitute "Evil Henry" for that. You know which. Probably would have been a better, a better uh, a description of him on that. But yeah, he was—he is a, a total, total manipulator. Just really, really, uh, you know, a, a sociopath. You know, uh, more so than a psychopath. I think he's more of a sociopath. He just knew how to manipulate people. Do you, you think know, and, and uh, get get your trust? Do you think that in his mind that gives him absolution if he goes up to a survivor or, or, or to a to a uh, not a survivor but goes up to the next of kin and, and apologizes? Do you think that to him that that cleans the slate, so to speak? That's a good point, but I, you know that's a good point. But I, I can't get into the mind of a serial killer. You know, um, uh, I I just I don't think I can do that. I mean, just. You know, guess, I'd be guessing if I was doing that. And, you know, the FBI were told about, they were brought in on a case because uh, uh, the, the police were stumped and, uh, and uh, they didn't think a serial killer was involved. Let's you know, talk about that uh, for a minute because we, I teased that, that uh, the FBI and even the the Charlotte police thought that, that this wasn't a serial killer at one time. And let's explain why. That's a good question. I, I don't. I don't really know why. But uh, wrestler who was the uh, profiler that, that was brought in, you know, said that if if if, if, if the guy was, that was committing the crimes uh, uh, wanted to be a serial killer, he was doing it the wrong way, whatever that means. 
<laughs> on, 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 on that. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, you know, why that they they concluded with that, and you know, there was, like I said, there was the race element too. You know, all the victims were black. You know, the, the perpetrator was black on on that, and uh, 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 I think falsely, uh, it's believed that uh, that uh, African Americans don't don't uh, don't commit serial killing like, like like the whites do. You know, but if you look at the the average. It's higher than the whites on that sort of stuff. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Uh, you know, the fact that, uh, that there was a black serial killer. But, um, uh, it, you know, it's hard to say. I think a lot of it had to do with his patterns, if I remember right, from, from reading the book. The, the way he went about the killings didn't fit the... Uh, the the operation the way he operated it, it didn't fit the way a serial killer would operate. Um, not only that, but the fact that he was just way too careful. It, it yeah uh, yeah 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 right yeah he didn't leave any evidence. I mean that was the, that was the whole thing right, right. and uh, and no one, no one suspected that that there was a connection. I mean especially the police, you know, that there was a connection between the uh, between the murders on on that. And I think that helped it as, as, as well. So, um, yeah. So uh, I, I think that uh, it was hard to hard to hard to determine. And let's face it, he wasn't random enough. I mean, he didn't pick his his victims yeah, out at yeah. random. Right. Uh, they, they were spaced out, and he was careful about that. You know, uh, he he recognized that uh, that uh, he shouldn't be too frequent with with the murders. But, but the problem was. His crack cocaine habit got bad. It got really bad, and yeah. he had problems with his girlfriend on that. And um, the fact that the, you know no, nothing was being reported about these murders—I mean, there's nothing on the news and all that—made him a little bit overconfident. And I think all these factors contributed to uh, uh, him being uh, more reckless than he would have been uh, otherwise, and uh, leading to uh, making mistakes and uh, being captured. Very true. Very true. Well, folks, there's a lot of chilling details in this book that absolutely will will raise the hairs on the back of your neck. Bad Henry, the murderous rampage of the Taco Bell Strangler is available now on Wild Blue Press. We have a link in the description of this program. And and Ron, again, I have to tip my hat to you. This this book is is well written. It's well put together. And there's there's just some scenarios here. I, the individual murders themselves are, are detailed. And there's points in this book where, you know, you, you know how it's, uh, these individual murders are going to come out, but you, you do root for these women to try and get away in, in, in these different scenarios, especially the, the one young lady who fought for her life at the end was, was stabbed, what'd you say, 38 times by, by Henry? Yeah. 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 There, there was yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, but like I said, that was, that was when he was, going under control he, yeah he was beginning to lose it you yeah. know uh his life was going going nowhere and uh he was on crack and uh plus his uh end up rage against a woman it all added up together for a bad bad smorgasbord of, of uh, vicious killing yeah and there's a you know it's at that it's during that killing, I think, that he truly, you know, th there's there's such a thing when you when you watch 
uh, it's almost it almost unfolds like a movie and you, you hate to be out of body and, and describe it like that but you know as as his evil character unfolds so to speak ron you know he it you almost can want to try to blame the addiction at first and say well it's just the addiction that's feeling this but it's almost at that moment that last killing that you truly realize that bad henry is truly evil and he reveals himself and again we'll leave it for the reader to 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 find out exactly what it is that he says but he truly tells you at the end he was evil all along and it is absolutely chilling it makes you uh wonder how many other people are out there like that yeah yeah and that's the scary part it really is uh ron ron shepsuk thank you so much for being with us today well, thank you so much, Tim, for inviting me on the show. I enjoyed it. As, as I did, my friend, as I did as well. And, and we have to have you back. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's so much to your rich history that, uh, that uh, I want to go through, and, and well, uh, we should, uh, we should talk. Thank you for having me back. I, I, I've got a TV series out that came out uh, January 20th on, uh, on the big streaming service on Carlos Later, oh. uh, one of the biggest drug traffickers in history. It's called Iraso Blanco, um, and which means... Uh, White Paradise, and uh, it's on on Vix streaming thirty part series. Well, there you Maybe go. I can come back and talk about about him later if you want. Absolutely, let's do that. Let's do that. We'll set that up, okay. and uh, we'll we'll come back and we'll talk about that. So, Ron Shepsuk, okay. thank you so much for being with us today. Okay, I appreciate it very much, Tim. Thank you, uh, folks. It's time for us to lighten it up just a bit. It's time now for us to bring in Beer City Bruiser, and it's time now for dumb crimes and stupid criminals. It's it's crayon news story time. <laughs> What happened with this dude, Christbearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? Hey, I need help. And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. It's that time again, the time you've all been looking forward to. It's time for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. It's time to bring in a co-host as well, the co-host for the most, the BCB, the Big Cuddly Bear, Beer City Bruiser. How you doing, Bruiser? Oh, I'm hanging in there, Cruiser. Hanging in there. Like Hang. We were talking off air. I'm, I'm spread thin right now. Back to a full-time schedule, and I just got to... Figure out how to reschedule. How to reschedule. <laughs> like get, it, get it scheduled enough where I'm able to sleep and spend time with the family. You know how it is. I know, Just, I do know how that is, yeah. We're going to have to yeah. get you a hammock that you can put up in the yard with the pups, and maybe you can put it in the vehicle. You, you put a hammock in the vehicle. <laughs> yeah, you can hang it from one side of the vehicle to the other. Well, I'm always good at sleeping in vehicles. I've been sleeping in cars for forever. Now, this is a, do, a new kind of tired i'm used to travel tired yeah. you know what i mean because i've been doing yeah. it for so long this is uh home every night but staying busy between us recording training the future helping produce shows now which is great yeah. you know yeah. um you know meet and greets and autograph signings it's just like okay <laughs> yeah it's a new kind <laughs> of bruisers tired yeah a new kind of a new kind of cp yep Yep, and I haven't even thrown back in working out again because I haven't been cleared for the gym yet, but I know 
that comes next month. And so I'm going to get my schedule set now so that when that does get thrown in, I already have time put aside for it. You know what it might be, my friend? It might be the fact that you're not physically active right now. You know what I mean? I'm active within doctors. No, but I mean, orders. You know, but yeah, I see what you're saying. You're I'm used not. to that physical pump oh, from the gym, yeah. you know. Yeah. And sometimes that physical pump gives you your energy. Yeah. No, it, it's take it from I, the sloth over here on this side <laughs> of the board. I've I, been trying to walk with the pups and walk with Mrs. Bruiser. In fact, the other day uh, at that meet and greet that we did, um, DeAndre the Giant one, we were walking around. It's a small little festival and we were walking around mrs bruiser goes hey slow down there speedy because i was walking faster than her which has never happened in the history of our career or our relationship wow well look at that yeah Yeah. well that's good news oh yeah 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 Yeah. that's good news indeed that's good news indeed well dumb crime stupid criminals is something to behold today bruiser um i'm gonna warn you our not safe for work section today lot of uh lot of genital references so if you're if you're triggered by those i'd say uh, uh you know you probably want to bow out early are we gonna have to put out degeneration x warning <laughs> yes yeah yeah we're, we're gonna have to do that though. but uh other than that uh it's uh it's an interesting dumb crime stupid criminals today that's for sure uh so without further ado we'll we'll jump into it um we're starting out in florida of course where uh you know we like our we like our crimes violent yeah violent and stupid yeah violent and stupid this one starts with a florida man who allegedly pistol whipped and shot his friends in both legs while drunk uh because why leave a healthy leg (laughs) exactly you want to make sure he's not walking out of that tavern (laughs) that's right that's right uh 30 year 38 year old thomas arnie was charged with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon he of course Pistol whipped and shot his friend of both legs. Uh, you know, I've learned say. over my years of, of drinking beer. What's that? Never have a weapon nearby when you get drunk. Just leave that locked up. Yeah, yeah. It's probably Nothing for the Nothing good best. comes, even if you're just playing with it because you're drunk and want to show your buddy. No, just leave it. No. You with know, you're sober. There's no uh, conceal and carry anymore in Florida. You can just pretty much carry that son bitch on your side <laughs> now. And, and, you know, beer in one hand, gun in the other. Uh, you know, you're always right. That's their state slogan, actually. Do you know that? What's that? Beer in one hand, gun in the other? Florida, beer in one hand, gun in the other. (laughs) I think it is. Uh, The incident took place at around 4 a.m. on Friday on DeSoto Avenue and is it DeLeon Springs? DeLeon Springs? DeLeon. 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 Oh, that's right. It is. I'm related to him. He's the guy who went to go find the, uh, yeah, when we go back in the family tree, uh, he's the guy who went to go look for the fountain of youth. And he's the one that went to Florida and all that. So, yeah, Ponce de Leon. Then he found one of those chicks in the bikinis, and he found the fountain of youth. <laughs> exactly. I the, oh, I didn't hit the right button. I hit the... <laughs> oh, dear yeah, Ponce God. de Leon was not AI. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. The fountain of youth was AI, wasn't it? Um, boy, I'm off, to a, I'm off to an auspicious start today, aren't I? It's one of these. No, it's not one of those. What the hell is wrong <laughs> with my board today? Boy, oh boy. It's one of those days, Bruiser. Maybe, maybe maybe you need to there be we go. Maybe you need to be like Ponce de Leon, just get a new woman every five years. Hey, there you go. There, there it is. <laughs> Fountain of youth. Fountain of youth. 
Uh, the suspect was still on the scene when police officers arrived. He did the right thing. He just stuck around. <laughs> yeah, I shot, All will happen. <laughs> I shot him in both legs. What about it? He ain't leaving on his bar tab tonight. Look at that. That's right. Arnie told them that the incident started with a drunken argument. Well, as most of them do. Oh, yeah. 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 It was probably something stupid like, that's watermelon. That's strawberry. It ain't no watermelon. <gasps> Speaking of watermelon and strawberry, uh, there's a new Italian, homemade Italian ice out there. I forget what the brand name is, but oh my gosh, is it good. Okay. I like Italian ice. I do too. I'm going to have to get you the brand name and I'll I'll, uh, I'll forward it to you. I think it was it Lindy's is the Yes, Lindy's. That's what yep. it is. Have you had what it? I like. Oh, I haven't had the, I've had the strawberry and I've had the lemon. They have a lemon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the original is lemon. <gasps> I got to find the lemon. I love me. Yeah. Lemon's my favorite. Yeah, that's the original. Oh, you'll love this one too, especially when you get right to the bottom. Yeah. Because that's where a lot of the, like it, it's flavorful, flavorful throughout, but right at the bottom they have that nice oh. layer of lemon flavoring and yeah. like it's just thought enough where it's soft. And, oh, oh, so good. Oh, yeah. daddy like. Yeah, I've been eating those since I was a kid. As long as I can remember, that was my mom's go-to treat for us. Was Lindy's? Yeah, either those or the the freezy pops. Yeah, but yeah, in summertime, all the time. In fact, when they she came for my surgery, she went out and bought some and left them in my freezer. So See, I just finished them a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I think Lindy's is new to this market. Is new to Minneapolis market because I've never seen them before. And then they appeared in the freezer section at the local grocery store, and I went, "Ooh, this is new." Um. So yeah, we stocked up here at the house. They were like two for six bucks. If you can get the lemon, worth it. I'm looking. It's my today. favorite. It's my favorite. I gotta go get uh, more blueberries for the chipmunks today. So there you go. The world's most spoiled chipmunks. Now, have I told you that? <laughs> these yeah. these little arrogant sobs are are now you know they're getting picky with stuff. <laughs> they're turning into Talia and Ziggy. Watch out. I'm telling you. They, they, I, I tell you, Zig, uh, Talia will not poop on grass. What? If the grass is too long, she won't go poop. She'll poop in the street or in the uh, driveway. Seriously? Yeah, she doesn't like the grass on her ass. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I'm dead serious. I'll take a picture. It, it tickles I blame Mrs. Here. Bruiser, so I've, I've taught her now that. Because Mrs. Bruiser is who I blame, even though she didn't do it. So oh, now man. I taught Tali, if you're not going to shit in the grass, fine. I'm going to have you shit right in front of your mother's car. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you run it over with the wheels, yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. We got a little off track there, but that's okay. We did, we did. It was the Lindy's. Oh, Lindy's. Oh. It was this guy because they were fighting over strawberry and lemonade or strawberry and watermelon. That's right. And shot each other in the leg. That's right. The incident took place at around 4 o'clock a.m. on Friday on DeSoto Avenue in DeLeon Springs. Uh, the suspect was still on the scene when police officers arrived. Arnie told them the incident started with a drunken argument. Strawberry, watermelon, watermelon, strawberry. Arnie told deputies he and his friend had been drinking outside all night, then got into an argument that escalated. Volusia Sheriff's Office said in a press release, the suspect told investigators that his friend had broken the windows of nearby cars before approaching Arnie aggressively. <laughs> Why not? Yep. Show um, him what you can do. That's right. Yeah. Give him a little, you know, display of power, I guess. I have no idea. Yeah. A witness said that Arnie shot the victim once in each leg before eventually hitting him in the head with the weapon. Wait a minute. 
<laughs> you got to immobilize them and then knock them out. That's, you know, that's drunken army tactics. <laughs> drunken army tactics. <laughs> yes. Are they... <laughs> Are they doing that right now over over in the uh, Eastern Bloc? Is that how they're oh, taking out the Russians? It's it's not. I don't think that's an official army. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, made, I, I made it up. Okay. Right. And I want to say it's my army, but I don't want anybody shooting anybody and then blaming me. Ah, okay. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, the victim did not comply with the investigation, but the witness claimed that the victim was not threatening Ar- Arnie before the battery. So, in other words, he just walked up, shot him in the legs, and hit him in the head? <laughs> I, I don't know what happened, officer. I was one minute we're having a conversation about strawberry and watermelon. And the next thing you know, I can't walk, and I'm waking up with Arnie standing over me going, Bro, I'm so sorry, bro. <laughs> bro. Sorry for the shot in the legs, bro. You're not going to be jogging anytime soon. <laughs> Help him with your disability, man. <laughs> <laughs> that 5K is now a two-inch K. That's I know that's not a thing. Don't don't write me and say two-inch K is not a thing, Tim. <laughs> it is for me. I have Sharko foot. Yeah. 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 Two-inch K is is thing for me. <laughs> I don't run five Ks. I don't run two Ks. I don't run one K. I don't run at all. <laughs> Neither does this guy. No, we don't go anywhere. If it's running, we ain't doing it. <laughs> He's wanted to make sure he can get those special passes saying that you have metal in your leg when you go through TSA. You know, that's a bit of a fallacy after a while. You'll find yeah, I've out. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't pick anything up. No. Those, those scanners don't pick that up. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not a Wolverine situation where you walk through <laughs> and everything goes beep, 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 beep. Nope, nope. <laughs> All you got to do is if if they if they scan your hip and it does happen to go beep 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 it, it does that maybe for the first couple of months that you have the implant. Yeah. Cuz I've got three pins in my hip. I never it never goes off. Okay. Cuz eventually that that muscle grows over. Well, they told me I should be fine. Yeah. He's like, "Do you have pre-check?" I said, "Yeah." He's like, "You'll be fine." I'm like, "Okay." Mhm. Mhm. Not a problem. Well, I'll find out that first week of September. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Right. If I remember right, first time I traveled, um, it went off a little bit. It was like a type of deal. <laughs> it was. It, would, it barely recognized it. So you should be fine. You'll be fine. Especially with the the uh, the uh, complicated machinery we have nowadays. I think you know. They'll they'll see it. Oh wait, you're not going to go through the scanner. You've got pre. Nope, right? I go through. I go through the metal detector. Then but I got my uh, I got my pictures on my phone, so I can just go look. They've rebuilt me. They have the technology. Yep, that's right. That's an X-ray of my junk. <laughs> look at my junk. Are you impressed? <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half inch K. <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half inch K. <laughs> Look at this. It's almost as long as the implant. (laughs) (laughs) The guy will go, you can pass. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like we're going to have to pat you down, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Sir, we can't let you get on that flight. You're carrying a weapon. (laughs) Do you use that on the missus? Because I'm surprised she's walking through the scanner. It'll be funny, too, because they'll be like, you know, 
we're, we're not sure. I show them my junk x-ray and they're like, whoa, whoa. And then I pull my pants down to show them the scar. <laughs> when, I, when I showed the students the scar the first time, I went, all right, guys, you want to see my scar? And I went and they're like, whoa, whoa. whoa. I'm, like, I'm not pulling, I'm not whipping it out. No, no, no. <laughs> Sir, are you a police officer? Are you in the business? Because that's a billy club in your pants. <laughs> I'm just building you up here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, hmm. Oh, yeah, back to the story. The victim did not comply uh, with the investigation, but the witness claimed that the victim uh, was not threatening Arnie before the battery, as we had mentioned before. Arnie was taken to the Volusia County Branch Jail, where he was booked on how much bond there, Bruiser? Oh, let's go with $500,000. Oh, Wow. You're valuing this man's legs too much. <laughs> All right, $2,500. Yeah, go up a little bit. $7,000. Not even close. $25,000. Yeah, I mean, oh, $25,000. Okay. Yeah, $25,000. Uh, Volusia Sheriff's Office is actively investigating the incident. No additional details are available at this time. So there you go. That Volusia county is uh if you watch on patrol live which i've been binging lately they're yeah. one of the departments on there oh i bet i bet they have a lot of stuff going on there yeah oh yeah because it's and I, I tell mrs bruiser we're in for a treat because it's florida and i go tim and i cover a lot of florida <laughs> oh, stories yes yeah they, they uh they have some stuff going on there speaking of uh we're gonna move a little bit northward i believe i think Volusia is south of tampa we're gonna go to tampa where okay. the mayor went on a bit of a fishing expedition well, good for the mayor. Uh, except this one uh, was quite the fishing expedition. In fact, this one came back uh, quite lucrative. Uh, this, uh, the mayor of Tampa, Jane Castor. Mm -hmm. Ironic last name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, mayor of Tampa brought in a huge haul while fishing for lobster and mahi-mahi with her family off the coast of the Florida Keys in July. Uh, instead of bringing in fish, what do you think the mayor brought in? Cocaine. It's got to be cocaine. It's Florida. <laughs> You're absolutely right, my friend. <laughs> That's right. Tell them, tell them what Bruiser's won, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you won a, a trip to Florida and cocaine. <laughs> and all the rice-a-roni you can eat, my friend. All the rice-a-roni you can eat. Mayor Jane Castor told WFLA The Flay that she discovered about 70 pounds of cocaine floating in the water. Jeez. That's 70 pounds, Bruiser. That's a lot of cocaine. Yeah, 70 pounds of the cocaina. Let me, uh, let me show you exactly how much <laughs> that oh, 70 geez. pounds looks like. Isn't that I a lot? I love the butterflies on it. Yeah, <laughs> the butterflies make it the best. That's right. That lets you know that you're flying high. So They'll never know this is cocaine. Let's put butterflies on it. They'll think it's it's something for a child. That's right. It's butterfly feed. Uh, at first, Castor said that she and her family approached some floating debris in the water, hoping to reel in larger fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you seen Cocaine Bear? Well, now Cocaine Shark's coming out. <laughs> That's right. Cocaine Shark. Uh, what happens is the smaller fish will congregate under the debris for the shade, the mayor went on to say, which brings the larger fish. So you always want to fish around any debris, the mayor said. Good fishing. So, 
So does does a certain Florida promoter we both know have to send her a thank you note for finding all his cocaine? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna say much more because I'll get in trouble. But <laughs> that's right. You get where I'm. You, you get what I'm laying down. Yeah. That's right. Woo! Can't wait to get the TV. Yeah. <laughs> um. But as they approached the, I've said too much already. But as they approached the debris, Caster, who used to be a narcotics officer, realized that the debris was actually a bale of cocaine. A bale, a bale. of co- cocaine. Those poor drug, those poor drug dealers get into the port. Like, hey, man, did you? Uh, we got four bales, yeah? No, man, we only got three. Trace. What happened to the fourth bale, man? I don't know, man. I don't know, but we got free tickets to wrestling. (laughs) And football. And And soccer. And soccer. We got a lot of events to go to, man. (laughs) Caster and her family (laughs) fished the cocaine out of the water. Of course they did. And contacted the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. Strangely enough, there were 70 pounds reported, but they brought in 100. Just saying. U.S. Border Patrol agents met Castor and her family and confiscated the drugs, which are worth an estimated how much, Bruiser? It was, what, 80 pounds? Uh, no, 70. 70? 70. 70? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say a million dollars. Very good. 1.1 million. Yeah. Like I said, I've been watching Out Patrol Live, so I'm getting my, my street values <laughs> going. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, we go from Florida to Atlanta, just a hop, skip, and a jump west. Yeah, it's close. It's a drive. Yeah. The, uh, oh, God. You know, sometimes the city will take it upon themselves to clean up a situation. Okay, yeah. Sometimes the city's a little aggressive. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. In this case, they were way too (laughs) overaggressive. Got to thank Tom for sending this one in. Uh, welcome back, Tom, by the way. Uh, we missed you, buddy. <laughs> I know, I, I'm not saying that facetiously. I, I mean that. We, we missed Tom. Well, he also messaged, too, uh, if any of my students were on AEW this past week in North Carolina. And they were not on TV. They were backstage there. They were booked, but oh, but they, they didn't, didn't, didn't do anything. Yeah, they, they had on, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, they were in Greensboro. Yep. This past this past weekend. And then they were in Greenville, South Carolina before that too, and I had two students at that show too and Did they didn't do anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is common nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they show up, sometimes they, they get on TV, sometimes they don't. Yep. Yeah. Um I'm trying to remember the name of the ROH guys that were on. I don't know, they were a trip to watch though. On collision on Saturday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um but yeah, they were they were funny. Uh, they're enhancement talent. We like to call them enhancement talent, um, <laughs> but they were they were pretty funny to watch. I'll, I'll get the name and I'll I'll throw it out there in a future episode. Uh, so the city of Atlanta mistakenly tore down a man's home, then charged him sixty eight thousand dollars in demolition costs. Because why should we pay for it? Oh yeah, it's his house. Y- yeah, yeah. His house is in the way of whatever they need. <laughs> <laughs> sure. An Atlanta man who lost his house after the city tore it down by mistake is now facing a lawsuit to have the entire property foreclosed 
unless he pays the sixty-eight thousand demolition demolition costs. He left out it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a mistake. Yeah, um, our bad, but we still have to pay the crew. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, Atlanta made a mistake, but you still get to pay for it. Yeah, we still have to pay the crew. So where are we at on this? If you'd be so kind as just to fork over that sixty-eight thousand for our mistake, that'd be nice. We'd, we'd appreciate that. <laughs> An Atlanta man who lost his house after the city tore it down by mistake is now facing a lawsuit uh, to have the entire property foreclosed <laughs> unless he pays that $68,000 in demolition costs. Yeah. See, what they're going to do is they're going to build him a house. Oh, be like this, this house is exactly $68,000, so it's literally the world's smallest house. But the kicker yeah. is the original house cost 400000 <laughs> Yeah, but you know, uh, Everett Tripodis's property in Atlanta, oh oh boy, in Atlanta's historic West End is now an empty lot. (laughs) Well, it's his empty lot, though. That's right. It's still his empty lot. Well, I don't know. It's been foreclosed on, so it's not really his. Oh, so now it's the bank's empty lot. Yeah. But until a few months ago, he actually owned a home there. He did. Uh, One that the city demolished without so much as a warning. Technically, again, technically, they did send out letters notifying the owner that the property had been labeled unfit for habitation. <laughs> uh, but they sent them to the wrong address in a oh, different geez. yeah, in a different zip code about 1.4 miles away. Okay. Yeah. Way to go, Atlanta. Yeah. You might want to look into your clerical staff. Yeah. Uh, Tripodis and his mother had bought the century-old house as an investment and had been working on remodeling it when the city decided to tear it down. <laughs> they decided to help. Oh, Your remodel looks like shit. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, so much for those permits. Uh, to make matters worse, the city of Atlanta is now suing the owner of the property and threatening to foreclose on the empty land unless he covers the cost of the demolition, which was $68,000. <laughs> Jeez. The demolition order itself gave the city and its contractor authority to demolition the home on a completely different street and a completely different zip code. <laughs> Tripodis uh, told Channel 2 Action News, Channel 2 Action News, uh, adding that the warning letters had gone to another address as well and were returned to sender. Why would you? It went right back. Like they kept sending it. Like, no, we know this is a house. We're the government. Why would you then mobilize a demolition crew if the letters were coming back? Because those letters are just sitting on someone's desk right now. They'll get to them tomorrow. The quote here is: "It blows my mind how they could have mistakenly sent these to the wrong address." I come and meet the contractor one morning, and the whole house is gone. Everything is gone. Nothing but dirt. Do you think the contractor looked at him and pulled a Tommy Boy and went, what did you do? (laughs) (laughs) The former homeowner has filed a claim for damages. Of course he has. But the city of Atlanta not only denied to pay claiming that the city cannot accept responsibility for his matter and therefore cannot pay his claim, but recently filed a lawsuit against him, threatening to foreclose on his property unless he pays the demolition costs. How are they not? <laughs> That's okay. They double talking out of both sides of the mouth right there. We call it doubling down on the fuck up here in Minneapolis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Uh, when I saw that came from the city, I was quite excited. Tripodis told Channel 2, maybe it was a letter of apology. Maybe it was a check. Maybe, oh, so he was really excited. <laughs> yeah, he thought maybe they're making good. Yeah, like, maybe, okay, cool. They're, this is cool. I like this. I like this. He said, Then maybe, he opens it up and it's a, what? <laughs> he said, maybe they're, they're going to justly compensate me. Then I opened it up and realized that they were suing me. <laughs> it's the worst. After you air the story, after everyone sees it, Instead of them fixing the problem, they double down and do it again, the man added. It's oh. like after the slap comes the spit in my face. I'm just frustrated. The city is alleging that, quote, the property should be sold to public outcry unless one or more of the interested parties tenders the full redemption amount, which consists of the original demolition cost plus interest, which totals over $68,000. If I was that guy, I'd find out who's in charge down there at the government and just blast them on all social media, have everybody write in. You know what I mean? Just overload this guy. I'd ask for the guy's job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everett Tripodis himself had already sued the city for the wrongful demolition of his property, but his case is stuck in the Fulton court system, and he only has weeks to respond to the foreclosure suit. Well, then you go to the circuit court and you ask for uh, some sort of an injunction to stop the suit. Yeah, because you have another suit pending. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you may have to go through an attorney to get it done. If anything, they combine the two suits. Because it's a civil matter, you can do that. Can you? Yeah, you can try them both at the same time. I mean, you have to ask for the injunction. Because technically, the government's countersuing him for the 68000 Or is it a separate action? It, it could be, but, I, but like you say, he should go down to circuit court anyways and and file an injunction and see what, you know. Yeah. Hey, I can't respond to this because I'm waiting for an answer from this yeah. to see if I can respond to this. Right, exactly. Yeah, you have yeah. to halt everything. Yeah, exactly. Right, because it's a it's a it's a wrongful uh, wrongful demolition. I don't know. That, it's that's just confusing. confusing. On the plus side, my oldest daughter and her fiance just bought their first home, or put it they had a uh, uh, offer that was accepted, so they're in the process of buying their first home. So congratulations! Congratulations! Hopefully, it's not in Fulton County. <laughs> it should tell. Well, he 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 works in the his. His dad works in the construction industry, so they, they they work for the government, so they'd be the ones that would have to demolish it. Can you imagine? You get a demolish order, <laughs> you show up to work, you get a demolish order, you're like, Sandra's looks familiar. <laughs> then you show up, you're like, hey, it's wait a my minute. house. <laughs> this is my house. Ah. <laughs> wait a minute, I made the payment this month. <laughs> what is going on? Is this a joke? That's been Kutcher punking me. What is wrong with you people? Uh, speaking of not being successful at maintaining your house's structure, this man is not successful at his own crime. <laughs> okay. Well, probably work on that. He's even admitted it to police. Oh, so he's a, he's a polite and honest criminal. Yeah. And he actually, okay. he looks like bald Shawn Michaels. <laughs> 
I'll show okay. you. Look, he looks like, doesn't he look like Bond or bald Shawn Michaels? Yeah. Yeah. What an interesting tan line too. He does have an interesting tan line. Look, look at him. He just, yeah. Like, he's, does his hat have holes in those two spots on his head? <laughs> his trucker hat's been ripped in half. That's what it looks like. Yeah. He, he's not even successful at tanning. No. <laughs> he's success. He fails at life. He fails at life. Yeah, it's like somebody uh it's like somebody tore his trucker hat in half and it, it doesn't maintain a good shield. Like I used to I used to joke with Mrs. Bruiser when I'd when I'd spray tan mm-hmm. and I'd go and like spray the back of one of her legs and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somebody did that to him. Mm. Here's two dots on top of your head. <laughs> it's kinda like it, it's kinda like it's a it's a pyramid tan on Yeah. Yeah, and, and it goes all the way up his little bald head. Yeah. Yeah. It's like somebody. Um, Maybe he's wearing a crown all weekend. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. A little princess crown. <laughs> exactly. A little tiara. Yeah. Hey, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, but not in this case. Police say that this accused thief, the the bald Shawn Michaels clone, <laughs> uh, declared to police, I'm not good at shoplifting. Well, that's good. At least he's honest. I don't know why he keeps trying to do it, but he's honest. Well, evidently he's trying to hide it underneath a hat with a huge hole in it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, sir, is that a 66-inch TV under your hat? Nope. Nope. <laughs> well, it's falling out. You better catch it. After being caught stealing bicycle accessories from Walmart, a Florida man, of course, we're going back to Florida, repeatedly gave police a devastating self-analysis. Well, at least he's in touch with himself. Yeah. That's what we'd like to hear. Daniel Kazmar says, I'm not good at shoplifting. Oh, that's, that's why, why are you doing it, Daniel? Well, I mean, you got to practice. Is it, it's one of those things. If you're, if you're not good, just keep trying and keep practicing. Eventually you'll get good. That's right. How okay. do you, how do you get good at fielding ground balls? Bruiser. Repetition, repetition, repetition. repetition that's right. Yeah. You keep taking the ground ball to the nuts until you put it in the glove. Yep. And this way, he was trying to steal baseballs and kept getting hit in the nuts. <laughs> kept getting hit in the nuts. Uh, the 53-year-old spontaneous admission came on August 9th when uh, he was following his arrest for swiping a bicycle pump, a lock, and an inner tube from a Walmart in Largo, which is in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, hey, he's just trying to get to work. <laughs> That's what he needed for his bike. <laughs> The man takes a bike to work, and he can't even get the accessories for it. Exactly. Uh, police say that Kazmar parked his bike, which had a flat tire, outside the Walmart before entering the store and stashing items worth $35.88 under his T-shirt. <laughs> and I'm sure he did the look around, too, like no one's looking. Whoop. Now... Yeah. Sir, is that a bike pump in your pants, or are you just happy to see oh, me? Oh, no, no, no. Well, guess what? Under his shirt. True, true. Now, you've got two options here, Bruiser, when you go into shoplift. I don't, I, I'm not telling you anything you probably don't know. Right. You've got the shirt, and you've got the pants. Right. The shirt's probably, if you're going for a bicycle pump, an inner tube, and a lock. I'm going the pants. Right. Yeah. 
Because you can put the bicycle lock on one side, the lock or the bicycle, yeah, and the bicycle pump on the other side, and so it kind of looks like you're just enlarged down there, right? And then the inner two right in the middle. Wear a belt so you can cinch it up. Yeah. Walk like maybe you've been hit by something, so you got a little bit of a limp. Yep. And you're out of there. Yeah, limp when you walk in, limp when you walk out. There you go. I wonder why you needed the bicycle locks. It sounds like the tire and the the air pump were for the physical flat tire he had on the current bike. Well, and then did he leave it out there unlocked? So that's why he's like, I better buy a bike lock too, yes. so no one steals my bike. Yes, he probably just wrapped a <laughs> chain around the 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 bicycle where you you know park your bicycle the, the yeah. rack right. And and did said a little prayer before he walked in that nobody would steal his little ratty little bike, and then walked into the Walmart. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shit. All right. So store security spotted Kazmar in action and alerted police, who collared the accused thief outside the store. <laughs> if you've ever been to a Walmart in Florida. The cops aren't far behind. They're always oh, circling. No, in the they're right by. there. Yeah. Yeah. They're always coming by. Yep. Oh, yeah. When cops initially contacted Kazmar, he made the following spontaneous statement. He told Officer Luis Rodriguez, I'm not good at shoplifting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not good. Since his rap sheet includes two prior theft convictions, Kazmar was hit with a felony charge for Tuesday's alleged pilferage. That's oh. right, over 35 bucks worth of bike parts. That's probably the lowest felony charge we've ever had. He's locked up in lieu of how much bond, Bruiser, for $35 of bike parts? $1,000. A little higher. $5,000. A little lower. $3,750. Two thousand bucks. Okay. Two thousand expensive bike lock. Two thousand bucks for thirty-five bucks in bike parts. Yep. God. Casmo. When he gets let out of jail, he has nothing to ride home because his bike's still gonna have a flat tire. That's right. <laughs> if it's still there, somebody might have said, "Hey, look." Somebody might. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm assuming the cops took it as evidence. Maybe. Yeah. The least they could have done is impound it for a charge of 150 bucks a day <laughs> and really screwed him. Oh, yeah. Kazmar was arrested last month for stealing, oh, God, $20.78 worth of multiple drinks and sandwiches from a Walmart in St. Petersburg. This dude just needs to learn how to steal. Like, if you're going to steal, go big or go home. That's right. Yeah. At least go get your groceries for the week. Exactly. Yeah. At the time of his arrest, in that case, Kazmar was also charged with possession of fentanyl and drug paraphernalia. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. Oh, Kazmar. <laughs> Rock the Kazmar. <laughs> Daniel Kazmar, we knew ye well. But you suck at stealing stuff. Well, at least he gets three hots on a cot now. Well, for a little while, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's probably why he's not paying the two grand in bond. Yeah, because he's like, okay, cool. I don't have to ride my bike anywhere. Yeah. It's hot out. I get air conditioning. Air conditioning. Free food. Free food. He gets somebody to talk to. Yeah, my bike's in a safe spot because I impounded it. That's right, for 150 bucks a day. <laughs> I'll never get my bike out. <laughs> I can keep it. 
Well, we're to the food-throwing portion of our program. Um, <laughs> God. You know, I always love it when people get so pissed off they throw food. I mean, not, I that, I, not that I love throwing food. It's a complete waste of good food. Oh, yeah, but sometimes you're just so angry you have to throw something. And, you know, a ham sandwich just happens to be in front of you. <laughs> I love it even better when it's at a fast food restaurant. Oh, God, yeah. Because you just paid for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, you know, you went into this place with the idea that, you know, oh, God, I can't, you know, I got to have that cheeseburger. Or I'm craving this so badly that I got to go to, you know, I got to go to Steak and Shake and get me a burger. Right. Yeah. Or, oh, I got to go to In-N-Out. I got to have a, a four by four animal style, right? Yeah. Like but, go to Taco Bell, get that nachos bell grande. Right. But yeah. then someone so pissed me off so bad, I'm going to launch this nachos grande right at their head. <laughs> right. And now I'm out all the money and my food. Right. Or this cashier's pissing me off so bad, I'm going to mash these fries right into their effing face. That'll learn them. That'll learn them. Really? We can't tone it down a notch and just enjoy our fries? No, no, because they're so angry they have to throw it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I just inconvenienced you by making a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pick that one out of your wig. <laughs> I think I think in the back of our head, all of us really just want, after we throw it, they just, we just want John Belushi to stand up and scream, Food fight! <laughs> And then a food fight breaks up. But then here's the thing, Bruiser. Here's the thing we're not thinking of. The minute that that cheeseburger leaves your hand, you're screwed. Oh, yeah. It's assault with a deadly weapon there. That's right. You're getting, you're getting rung up on assault. Yep. And I'm not talking about the assault that goes with the uh, pepper. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're going to get the cops called on you. Yeah. That happened the other day on, the, on Patrol Live. Mrs. Bruiser and I were watching. Somebody threw a shake at somebody, and she was more offended that they threw the shake than anything else. Right. And I go, well, now they're charged with assault with a deadly weapon. She goes, that's not deadly. I go, yeah, technically it is. It's a weapon. You can drown on a shake. Well, I said, well, yeah, your arteries are clogging up every time you suck, like suck on it. <laughs> but, yeah, she was more offended that they wasted the really good shake than the exactly. actual it's an assault. It, it is. It's assault. Well, the, the aggressor in our story just happens to be a cop. No, they're supposed to be cool, calm, and collected in these situations. Right. We go to South Florida. Of course. Where a cop is arrested after allegedly throwing McDonald's and a cheeseburger at his wife. Here's your damn cheeseburger. <laughs> I love me McDonald's cheeseburgers. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah, they're good. Uh, the latest McDonald's cheeseburger attack comes from South Florida, where a cop has been accused of throwing fast food at his wife during a violent confrontation in their home. He, oh, so it wasn't even at McDonald's. Like He had literally driven it home or had a door dash to him. That's right. He had got the cheeseburger home. He was just so fuming coming home. He's like, honey, face forward. <laughs> Do you think after he threw it, he's like, hey, I'm a cop. I have a gun. I could have shot you. That's Be thankful. Right. <laughs> you take this delicious cheeseburger to the face instead of a couple of rounds out of my service gun. 
investigators allege that an irate, that's in quotes, Andre Perez, 34 years old, and his spouse have been arguing about financial and infidelity issues when the lawman stormed into the kitchen in his wife's direction, throwing a McDonald's cheeseburger at her. <laughs> God love you, Andre. You're having an affair on me? Well, here, take this damn cheeseburger back. You're going to take his meat to the face. Watch this. <laughs> the victim told police that Perez then struck her with a closed fist to the right side of the head behind her ear. Oh, so the burger was a distraction. <laughs> it's like, here, distraction, real thing. Here, catch, boom. <laughs> uh, during the incident in their Miramar residence, according to an arrest report, Perez and the woman have been in a relationship for about eight years and have been married for about three years total and do share kids in common. Well, that's not good that they're that's fighting it. in front of them. Uh, charged with misdemeanor battery, Perez was booked into the county jail. I have his mugshot to show you in a moment. Uh, Perez, who bonded out of the Broward County Jail, is an officer with the Miami-Dade Police Department, which is headquartered about 25 miles south of Miramar. I know why he did it. Why is that? He didn't want McDonald's. He wanted a smash burger. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> there he is. There is Andre. He's been on On Patrol Live. Has he? Yeah. I recognize that dude. Do you? Yeah. Well, obviously, he can't keep a good cheeseburger down. No, he can't. Yep. Like I said, he doesn't want a smash burger. Oh, God. No, bruiser. No. Inappropriate. <laughs> We continue on with the food assaults. This one is, uh, gosh, is this one in California? This one's in California. We go all the way over to the other coast. Okay. Yeah. A woman is arrested. And by the way, we want to thank our listeners once again for this story. A woman is arrested in an attack on a Watts taco stand after refusing to pay for food. Just pay for your food. Come on. Yeah. I mean, come on. People work hard to... To, yeah, you know, especially taco stands, food trucks. I mean, I admire the people who get out there and hustle and put together that sort of stuff. And they got some good food on those things, especially oh, taco yeah. trucks. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, I'm hungry just thinking about it. You know, by the way, this past weekend, uh, Jellybean and Julia's was out uh, in Anoka. Yeah. They put together a little uh, little uh, stand. Uh, Anoka had a little thing going on yeah. this weekend. They had, get this, Bruiser, they had barbecue pork chops. Ooh. Oh, <sighs> Melting your mouth type. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Barbecue, oh. barbecue pork chops. I guess they were doing uh, both cheeseburgers and dogs, too. Yeah, barbecue pork chops is where it's at. Yep. I'm telling you, a good barbecue yeah. pork chop on a stick. So you get the bar barbecue pork chop on the stick. You know the ones that are heavily grilled. The, oh, oh, and you, oh yeah, yeah, flipping and you, them back and forth. Oh, and it's got the smoky flavor. Yeah. And then you put the barbecue right out. Oh god, yeah, yeah. And then you, you, you know, normally it's just, it's just good right off the stick. You just yeah, you tie, oh yeah, yeah. You just tear into them. But if you can imagine a little bit of that J and J barbecue sauce right on it. Oh, oh yeah. Mm. My a God. little dipping cup. Yep. Dip it in there. I did have some of the brisket from J and J this weekend. Oh, I'm so jealous. Delicious. Amazing. I'm jealous. Fall apart. It's just oh amazing. 
<laughs> anyway, where, where was I? Oh, yes, taco truck. Taco truck, uh, Watts. A woman accused of attacking a Watts street vendor over the weekend. Oh, by the way, and uh, this coming weekend in Anoka is the food truck festival. Oh, I recommend going. Those are we have those out here, and yeah, they they're so good. They do such good stuff on food trucks now. You know who's at that food truck festival? At least ODB. She, yep, she was last year. I think she's there. She again has that year. meat in a cup. Oh, and it is amazing, isn't it though? Oh yeah. She also does the thing, uh, and folks, uh, ODB um, does this thing. She just recently got married a few months back. She recently got married, and yeah. they just uh, opened up a second food truck. Yeah. So. I know she probably doesn't listen, but Jess, I love you, and I'm proud of you, and congratulations. And if you guys are ever around for ODB's meet and greet, it's what the truck's called. Yep. Get meat in a cup. Recommend it highly. Oh. And she does like a sweet Carolina barbecue sauce. Yeah. Oh and yeah. She has this thing now. When you go to the when you go to the food truck, she also does a thing that's like a boat that has, uh, I believe it's pork, and on top she's got macaroni. Yep, macaroni uh but yeah it oh my god i did that deal yeah and oh. i was full i was so full yeah i can't even tell you but my my belly was happy for days oh yeah every time i see her i get that meat in the coat yeah it's just so good it mrs is. bruiser's helped her on the food truck a couple times so i know the secret of how it's made and, oh yeah so good it's, so so good it's amazing so yeah so uh i believe she'll be out there for that don't quote me but if uh, if you go to her website um i don't have the address on me right now but but yeah check out just just look yeah. up odb meet and greet m-e-a-t m-e-a-t yep yep and uh check to see if she'll be out at the anoka food truck festival and if you like her sauce, she has her own sauce bottled and ready to go. Yep. It's oh, so good. And I, I know she does something, too. Or if you're a wrestling fan, she has her wrestling merch there, too. Yes. Yeah. She's got uh, merchandise there. And she'll take pictures with you, too. She does pictures. Yeah. She's the nicest yeah. girl. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Jess. I love yeah. ODB. Last year at the food truck festival, they were uh, they were taking up uh, donations for the wedding, which was really cute. I gave to some of that when I saw her. Um, when I did the impact tapings, they brought her in too as a special and, and yep. Mrs. Bruiser and I gave her to help out, got to meet her fiance, really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. We, th we threw in too for the uh, yeah, donations yeah. for the wedding. So, yeah. A little history and I know we're going down a path, but I, when I started wrestling, um, she started at the same time. So we used to ride together. Oh, cool. So we go back yeah. like I'm going on 20, beginning my 24th year. So yeah. Yeah. That long, yeah, it used to be me, her, um, a guy named Jimmy, and Mr. Ken Anderson, Sean Devari. There you go. Used to be on all the shows together, and that's I've a, known just very long time. That's a damn good lineup right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Silas will jump in with us every once in a while, like we had. Yeah, can't beat that lineup, that's for sure. Nope, yeah. nope. So, yeah, I, but when she, well, I remember when she started doing this food truck, and she was nervous, and, and, we went and at the Crusher Fest and had it, and oh, it's so and good. it's only gotten better. Yeah, oh yeah. That that one that she had there burned down, so now she has a custom one. Yep. And they, like I said, they just opened up a second one, which is custom too. So yeah, it's good stuff. So if you're in the you're in the Minnesota area, check out the Anoka Food Truck Festival this weekend. I know I'm getting off the air from KNSI, and I'm shooting right over there. Yep. Right over there after I get off the air. So, And I think they do winters in Florida. I think she does summers in Minnesota and yep. winters in Florida. Yep. 
So yeah, it's good stuff. Good oh, yeah. stuff. Looking forward to it. Okay, back to the food truck stuff. Back to the <laughs> back to the, the Watts, taco truck. The taco truck. The uh, taco stand. Uh, a woman accused of attacking a Watts Street vendor over the weekend after she was asked to pay for her food was arrested, according to police. A Los Angeles or Los Angeles police identified the woman as 36-year-old Renee Latrice Hines of Bakersfield. The incident took place on Sunday evening when street vendor, jo- I believe it's Joanna Vasquez of Tacos Ortiz on Grandy Avenue and East 103rd Street in Watts, was attacked by a female driver of a 2007 pink Lexus. Oh, geez. Right? Like, come on. Right. <laughs> you, you want a Lexus and you can't pay for a taco? Right. A pink Lexus on top of that? Yeah. Oh, tr- Mary Kay, pay for it. You're, you're right. You're trying to be bougie, but you don't want to pay for a taco. Exactly. Yeah, come on. Uh, officers with the Los Angeles Police Departments arrived on the scene at 6.35 p.m. and determined that Hines punched and pepper sprayed Vasquez when Vasquez asked the suspect to pay for the tacos that she had consumed. <laughs> what? So she ate the damn things she in front of her. She ate the things and then just decided, oh, I'm not paying for these. Look at my pink Lexus. I don't need to pay for these. You know who I am? That's ridiculous. Straight up. I run, I run the cosmetic industry around here. <laughs> <laughs> Tacos Ortiz staff recorded the incident, posted the video on Instagram on this past Monday afternoon. In one clip, the woman exits her vehicle and charges the vendors, appearing to throw a bottle at the stand's male owner. She then launches into a table and grabs Vasquez by the shirt, attempting to drag her away from the stand. As she yanks Vasquez with her right arm, she punches the much smaller vendor with her left arm and screams obscenities before eventually stopping after 15 seconds. Class act. I've had some really good food and I've had some really bad food and never in my mind with either experience has punching the person that gave it to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I could see going, oh, I wasn't crazy about this. Yeah, I, I've said stuff, you know, like, your meat's going better, you know, this wasn't, you know, so great. great I've asked for refunds. Yeah, but or I'm going to report this on Yelp. Exactly. Yeah. And, and if it's been great, I've actually sent messages back, hey, tell whoever made this, it was fantastic, I'll be back, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. This is great, never I'm going to report it on Yelp. But yeah, not not punching somebody, not dragging them from behind their stand and punching somebody. And then after you punch them, you pepper spray them. Yeah. Well, it's hot enough here. Use this. <laughs> oh, crazy. The stand's owner then runs to the to record the woman's license plate, and she responds by grabbing the vendor's plastic sandwich board sign and chucking it at him. <laughs> Class act. Uh, She continues yelling profanities before returning to her car on the passenger side as another person drives the vehicle away because, you know, she's got taco juice on her hands, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't even her car. She can't even afford a Lexus. No, no. Don't go to a taco stand if you can't afford it. That's right. And tacos are cheap, man. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're, they're not that expensive at all. Even from food trucks, they're cheap. Yep. Los Angeles Fire Department paramedics treated Vasquez for her injuries. Hines was booked on suspicion of assault with a deadly weapon, and her bail was set at $30,000. Not high enough. No. 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 On Wednesday, New Jersey-based Usen Logistics America confirmed that it had terminated an employment agreement with the woman. Good. 
uh, who had been temporarily assigned as a contractor to the global supply chain company by her employer, Carson-based Simplified Labor Staff Solutions. There's nothing simple about this woman. Uh, The woman was not identified by her employer. Yusin released a statement saying it does not condone violence of any kind. We were alerted to an online video of a temporary worker whom her employer had assigned to work at one of our warehouses. The statement read, this person is no longer assigned to work at our company and will not be allowed to return to any of our facilities. Calls to Taco Ortiz were not immediately returned. In the Taco Stand's Instagram post, The video included a message that reads in Spanish, be careful with these types of people. They arrive ordering food, and when it comes time to paying, they act like this. A Houston spokesperson said the company was tipped off by street vendor activist Eden Alex Enamorado. Enamorado organizes a regular group chat with several South Los Angeles street vendors and was informed that same day of the incident. Enamorado uh, said the woman had dined at Taco Ortiz at least two times before and then fled without paying. Oh, geez, so she's done it before. Yeah, so this isn't the first time. No. That's a class act right there. Yeah. On Sunday, Taco Ortiz employees decided to record her return, leading to the assault, according to Enamorado. He said recent violence against street vendors has been fueled by various issues. It's a perfect storm between racism, the economy, and the stigma of people thinking that sellers don't want to obtain permits, Enamorado said. There's a pettiness and hatred that builds up for street vendors, and that leads to hatred. As a result of Enamorado's efforts, Simplified Labor hired Taco Ortiz to cater a Houston company lunch on Friday. Well, that was That's nice cool. Of them. Good for them. Yeah. That according to an Instagram post that featured Simplified Chief Executive Ashiwahi. We really like to support our... What's funny? Ashiwahi? That's yeah. not his real name. That's Come his on. real name. Yeah, the, the Simplified uh, Chief uh, Executive is Ashiwahi. Are you sure that's not a food item on the menu? No, it's not. Bruce, Ashiwahi sounds like a tuna taco. <laughs> it is not, Bruiser. Come on now. Sorry, sorry, I just that's what I think of. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Mahi Mahi, it's the Ashiwahi. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It's just I expecting that name for us the owner or president or whatever he is. He is the <laughs> He's the simplified chief executive, Ashiwahi. And he's the number one on the taco menu. No. It's not a cannibalistic menu they're serving over there at Taco Cortez. Uh, he said, we really like to support our community, Wahi said in the video while speaking with Enamorado. He said, thank you for the cause that you believe in. That we also believe in, because the right thing needs to be done. So there you go. All ended well over there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just got to arrest that lady. That's right. And Ashiwahi had the mahi-mahi <laughs> for lunch. <laughs> so there you go. There's a taco named after him. <laughs> <laughs> Send your emails to bruiser at darknessradio.com. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just caught me off guard. Like I was not thinking that's the name that's going to come out. 
Like I'm like, oh, Tom Collins. Okay, I get him. He's a drink, <laughs> but a wash, ashy washy. Not a washy washy. It's an ashy washy. <laughs> Not washy washy. <laughs> Not washy washy is what you do on the cruise ship when you before you eat, so you don't get sick. Yeah. True. Yeah. Before you eat your ashy washy on the cruise ship. <laughs> oh. <laughs> God. Let's move on, shall we? Yes, yes, yes. We're going to Texas. Where the ultimate in Bexar County entitlement happened this past week. Oh, I love entitlement. A Texas mother accidentally called... Accidentally, that's in quotes here. Yeah. Called 911 looking for her son's soccer ball. (laughs) And a deputy... Not a criminal matter. That's right. That's what 911 is there for, folks. And then a deputy arrived and found the ball. <laughs> what a nice deputy. Hopefully he like told her, hey, this isn't a criminal chick case. I wish he would have cuffed her and then took her in afterwards. For misuse of 911? Yeah, but I don't think that happened. At least not in this case. Privilege! <laughs> um, we go to Bexar County, Texas, where a Texas woman who accidentally, I'm using quotes, they're not, Called 911 while looking for her son's soccer ball, was shocked when she saw a deputy knock on her door with the missing ball. According to the Bexar County Sheriff's Office, the woman had a safety setting that allowed her to call 911 without unlocking. We all have it on iPhones. Everybody has it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when emergency services answered, she told them it was an accident and everything was fine. A deputy was sent to do a welfare check, right? That's uh, normal. No, that's normal. Over a soccer ball? No, no. If, the, if she calls and says, oh, sorry, it was a mistake, they still send a deputy out to make sure that it's you're not in, in any problem. Uh-huh. Uh, that's like the code. If you call 911, if you are unsafe and the person's in the room that's making you unsafe, call 911 and order a pizza. Okay. Then they know. Then they know you're not safe, and they will send a deputy out there. I mean, they send a deputy anyways, but that's how you can – so, Tell them you're in a situation that you can't talk to the police. So I'm looking for a soccer ball is code for. Oh, no, no, that, 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 yeah, don't do that. Don't, don't call for your soccer ball. Okay. All right. <laughs> like, call your husband, not, not the cops. <laughs> <laughs> call your husband. Why not tell the kid to hold on to the soccer ball? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, a deputy was sent to do a welfare check where she explained that she called accidentally while looking for the ball. I jokingly told him. If he sees the ball, let me know. <laughs> Not two minutes later, he was knocking on the door with the ball. So he found it right away. He's probably like, here's your stupid ball. He should have Your followed. kid was playing with it in the front yard. Yeah, he should have said, hey, <laughs> dumbass, here's your ball. Uh, ring camera photos provided by the sheriff's office showed the interaction. Oh, dear God. Yeah. And then he should have cuffed her and said, come with me. <laughs> yes, I. That ball is going to cost you a few ball, a few dollars, and in, in some time in jail. So, too harsh, probably not. Just, I think she should have gotten a ticket for misuse nine one one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's move on, shall we? Okay. Some people want to be helpful to society. Other people wish they had superpowers. And okay. then you've got the boy who wants to do both. Okay. But he took it a little too far, Bruiser. I hate when people, they help too much to the point where they're not helping anymore. 
Yeah. An eight-year-old Bolivian boy ended up in the hospital after allowing himself to be bitten by a dangerous black widow spider in order to become like his favorite superhero, Spider-Man. Oh, see, this is where your parents have to step in and go, now this is fake. Yeah. This isn't true. That's right. That didn't really happen, Billy. And how do you know that black widow? First of all, he was bitten by a radioactive spider. Yes. Yeah. Not a black widow. Yeah, don't go stand under the power plant with a spider, Billy. Exactly. It's not going to happen. Uh, the incident occurred in the municipality of Vichuloma near the city of, I believe this is Oruro in central Bolivia. The eight-year-old child whose name has not been revealed to the media. Oh, it's a dumbass. Yeah, it's that, dumbass. That's a kid's name. A Dumas, not dumbass. Dumas. Dumas. Yeah, Dumas. Yeah. Uh, was reportedly playing near a river close to his house when he turned a big rock and discovered a black widow spider. Without realizing the consequences of being bitten by a highly poisonous spider, he grabbed the arachnid and put it on the back of his hand in hopes of being bitten. Ugh. Oh, Dumas. <laughs> he Second got... of all, Peter Parker didn't know the spider had bitten him. Right, right. It was a surprise. Surprise! Yeah. Yeah. And depending on what version of the comic, it was either on the back of his neck, on his back, or on his hand when he was looking away. He didn't put the spider on him. Right. Well, little Dumas got his wish, and then he headed home where he began experiencing symptoms like body aches and intense muscle spasms. <laughs> Initially, the boy didn't say anything to his mother about the spider bite, but after about three hours of agony, he said that he had been bitten by a colorful spider. Oh, Dumas. Oh. Uh, the concerned mother took the child to a health center in a neighboring town, but he was subsequently referred to the hospital General San Juan de Dios uh, in the city of Oruro as a medical emergency. After hearing about the spider bite, pediatricians then contacted Ernesto Vasquez, head of the Zoonotic Diseases Program of the Departmental Head Sur or Health Service of Oruro. Uh, who helped establish what kind of a spider had bitten the boy. The child, without considering the risks, picked it, picked it up and placed it on the back of his palm where the arachnid had made the bite, Vasquez told the EFE news agency. We are extremely concerned because the analysis and questions asked of the child when he had already recovered indicate that he had picked up the arachnid with a simple purpose, that he wanted to become Spider-Man. <laughs> God. The boy's mother confirmed that he was a big Spider-Man fan, but she had no idea that he could do something so dangerous to actually become like the Marvel superhero. Luckily, after identifying the spider species, doctors administered the proper anti-venom, and the boy's condition became stable only 30 minutes later. These black spiders with red backs are black widows. They do not cause anyone to become Spider-Man. On the no. contrary, they put lives at risk. Van he's Vasquez lucky he's said. alive. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Our kids getting dumber. Yes, they are. Because you and I grew up comic book fans. We've never hidden the fact that you and I are huge comic book fans. Yep. My my top, you know, comic book I read are you know Punisher, Daredevil, Spider-Man, Batman. Yep. Never once have I thought, gee, if I put toxic waste in my eyes, I could be like Daredevil. Yeah, you never asked me to throw a barrel at you. Never never no. once thought, well, hey, if I go kill a bunch of mafia members, I'm just like the Punisher. Yeah. 
Yep. You know, I did ask my parents for a billion dollars so I can become Batman. But F, what kid doesn't? Yeah, I know. I, I asked for the same thing. My my dad laughed at me. Um, and, <laughs> my dad did too. And kids then, said, Are kids getting dumber now? Yeah. <laughs> and then he divorced my mom and left. Um, <laughs> so he said, You're half an orphan now. So, you know, enjoy. Um, yeah, it, it didn't quite work out the way I thought it would. Yeah. 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 So, like, never, ever in all my years of, of, being a comic book fan, if I picked up a comic book and went, gee, I wish I could do this. Or I'm going to find a way to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? I don't know. Yeah, kids are getting dumber. <laughs> that's, that's essentially the, the lowdown here. It says, most people who get bitten by widow spiders do not suffer any serious complications, thank God. But in rare cases, the bites of some widow species have resulted in fatalities caused by the severe disruption of nerve signals in the body. So this kid could have bit it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, young children, the elderly. He's lucky he didn't become Stephen Hawkins. All the nerve damage. Oh, yeah, true. Uh, I thought you were going to say you became Stephen King and wrote a really uh, <laughs> really scary story. Uh, young children, the elderly, and people with underlying health problems are most susceptible to serious widow bite complications. Interestingly, a very similar case was recorded in 2020 when kids were beginning to get really dumb, I guess. I don't know. Uh, when three boys from the Bolivian town of Chianta uh, provided, or rather provoked, a uh, black widow spider to bite them for the exact purpose to become real-life Spider-Men. These kids need to realize that the superheroes aren't real because Christopher Reeve played Superman. And look what happened to him when he tried to fly. Okay, but okay, good, good example, okay? For how many generations have kids been putting blankets around their their necks and jumping off of roofs? I never jumped off a roof because I know that would hurt. No, but I mean, even back to our parents, there have been kids who have been doing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. But some of them were smart enough to put mattresses down on the on the ground. <laughs> Others, you, just, you know, you can even take it as far as after people see Mary Poppins, they jump off the roof of that umbrella. Yeah, kids have always been dumb. Maybe that's just it. Kids yeah. are just dumb. Yeah, yeah. I true. love you all, my kids. Be all dumb. <laughs> I say it all the time. I love my son, but he's an idiot. You know what it is? We maybe we fill him with unrealistic expectations. We tell them, oh. you know, if you dream it, you can achieve it. No, Billy. No. You know what? You can dream it, um, but there's some things you can't achieve. You know, you can dream that you can fly like a bird, but if you jump out of a tree, gravity's going to win 99% <laughs> of the time. Yes. It's, that, that's, that's a real rule. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There's some things you aren't going to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's just be real. Yeah. If you jump off that roof, you're going to break your legs. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. You're, you're going to shove your shin straight up through your chest cavity. It's going to oh, happen. Yeah. 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 Or try that little Roman Reigns superhero landing once. It, it, uh, you're I love that, that we have to put a, a warning before wrestling stuff. Kids don't try us at home, but they don't do it before like the Avengers movie. Right. There's no, you're right. There's no warning before the Avengers uh, movies or any of the superhero movies of don't try this at home. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do? Jeez. <laughs> kids are dumb. Yeah, kids are dumb. Uh, speaking of dumb, are you ready for this? 
That's why this is dumb crime, stupid criminals, I guess. But, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is equally as dumb. Miss Scotland, if you're looking for a date out there, guys, Miss Scotland seems like the the woman you wanna you wanna date. Okay. Fiery redhead. Fire, a fiery woman, Lucy Sophia Thompson. She's a ripe age of twenty four. Okay, so a fountain of youth. Or right at that age, one or the other. Boy, how do you pronounce this town? Dun, Dunfirm, Dunfermline? Dunfermline, Fife? Is where she's from. She's been reported to the procurator fiscal in connection with an incident that happened on June 17th. Miss Scotland is charged with an alleged hate crime. Oh. And a disturbance at the Edinburgh rugby <laughs> event. Oh, well, I don't think she should be with Scotland anymore. Scots don't want her representing them. <laughs> we Fair. love everybody equally in the same. <laughs> That's right. Well, you would figure Miss Miss Scotland would love everybody, especially over on the island of Scotland, you know. Yeah. Mhm. Let me let me break it down for you fellas. Uh boom. I'm sorry. I've got that Got that young MC Bust a Move song in my head. Uh, to holy old songs, fellas. Um, current Miss Scotland title holder Lucy Sophia Thompson has been charged by police with an alleged hate crime and disturbance at a sports event in Edinburgh. <laughs> been too long since I've done that. Police Scotland confirmed that the 24-year-old had been reported to the procurator fiscal uh, who will decide if the case goes to court let's hope not i hope not yeah we gotta keep her purdy behind out of jail <laughs> no no not if she's doing hate crimes yeah if it's a hate crime she deserves to go in yeah. uh the beauty queen from dunfermline fife was a i hope i pronounced that right unless i go dunfermline fife was that closer enough that was better yeah the second one yeah dunfermline fife was allegedly caught on camera being drunkenly ejected from the Edinburgh City Sevens <laughs> on June 17th. The footage, which was shared with the record, shows a... Oh, she's blonde-haired. She's not red-haired. Oh, okay, okay. She's a blonde... <laughs> uh, a blonde-haired woman uh, being led off of uh, Peppermill playing fields. In the uh, capital, I'm going to get a bunch of letters being uh, asked why I sound like Scrooge McDuck. I was going to say, you're going to get a hate crime. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get hate crimes committed on me. Uh, the woman can be seen stumbling and physically lifted up by security staff who struggle with her as they're trying to bring her back to her feet. Well, by God, what did she do, you may ask? Yeah. Se separate allegations were made about a worker being assaulted and racially abused at the event. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ms. Thompson is a businesswoman, believe it or not, who runs the Scottish Fashion Association, <laughs> which is an events firm that aims to address the challenges that the fashion communities face, such as racism, sexism, and gender inequality. Oh, but yet here she is spewing hate words. Yeah. At the time of the footage emerging, they posted the following statement on Instagram. We don't know who she is. <laughs> she is who again? <laughs> uh, SFA are aware of the incident on 
the 17th of June, 2023. We are treating this matter exceptionally seriously and will provide an update in due course. MK Event Services, who provided security at the event, added, given there is a live police investigation, it would be inappropriate to comment at this time. Well, what the hell did she do? Okay, let's let's continue. Thompson was crowned Miss Scotland at a glitzy bash in Glasgow. Uh, that's the name of our new album, by the way. A yeah, glitzy yeah. bash in Glasgow. That's our drinking songs. That's right. Uh, last July, after seeing off hundreds of women to take the coveted title. Oh my, this sounds like a nice night in Glasgow, doesn't it? <laughs> Alongside her work in fashion events, she also founded a charity, World of Bravery. Get it? B-R-A, Bravery, uh, that supplies underwear and period products to vulnerable women. Yet, here she is spewing off racial slurs. Mm -hmm. In June, the Miss Scotland organizer confirmed they were aware of an incident and we're looking into it fully. A police Scotland spokesperson said a 24-year-old woman has been charged in connection with a disturbance and a hate crime in Peppermill Road in Edinburgh. On Saturday, June 17th, 2023, a report will be sent to the Procurator Fiscal. The Miss Scotland organizers and the Scottish Fashion Association have been contacted for comment. But nobody will say what she did. She said that, yeah, they said that she racially berated a, a server or a, a person that worked there. Yeah, but what did she say? Well, we can't repeat it here. We don't want hate crimes. No, no, I mean, we don't want to be. It was a very server. colorful language, I bet. I, I bet. Yeah. It probably was something, you know, somewhat. She was probably young. Do you know who I am? I'm Miss Scotland. You beep. Okay, now we're at our NSFW uh, point in the program. Oh, okay. So if you're listening near small children, which if you have been up to this point, I, I don't know why, <laughs> uh, you probably want to escort them out of the room. Uh, if you're listening at work, you probably want to put in your your AirPods or your earbuds or your uh, earphones. Unless you got a cool boss. Uh, yeah, unless you got a cool boss who's like, turn it up, dude. Um, because, <laughs> boobies and beer, yeah. Yeah, bring me some uh, boobies and beer, yeah. Crack one open and let those puppies fly. Um, you know, unless you got that kind of boss. Because we're about <laughs> to get into it. We've got inappropriate names. We've got inappropriate body parts. And we're going <laughs> to get into it uh, with our NSFW portion of the program, which will begin in five, four, three, two, one. Don't say that we didn't warn you. All right. Oh, and we got to get moving here. Here we go. All right. An Oxford woman is charged over a body found in a river in 2021. Here's the inappropriate names. A woman has been charged with murdering a man whose body was found in a river two years ago. The body of 30-year-old Jorge Carino was pulled from the river Sherwell, or Sherwell, at Parsons Pleasure Bathing Palace in Oxford <laughs> on July 26, 2021. Do that's, we have memberships there? I wish we did, but we don't. <laughs> Here's That's not the worst part of it. 25-year-old Scarlett Blake of Crotch Crescent. <laughs> Somebody was bored with their name, and all these are really horny. Right. Now, her name used to be Alice Wang. <laughs> Alice Wang of Crotch Crescent was charged with the offense on Saturday. 
She's also charged with causing unnecessary suffering to an animal, criminal damage, and theft, police say. Thames Valley Police said the other charges were not related to Mr. Carreno's death. Uh, Deputy Chief Inspector John Capps said it was a complex investigation, adding, we still need help from the public. He urged anyone in the area of Parsons Pleasure or cycle paths around the river in the early hours or morning of July 25th, 2021 to contact the force. Ms. Wang is due to appear at Oxford Magistrates Court on Monday. So, essentially... It could be a really long investigation because they really want to spend some time in that pleasure place. <laughs> that's right. They want to take a look around the pleasure place looking for the damage that Wang did. Yeah, they they want to see... They want to talk to everybody. You know, if any females... I mean, anybody has any thing to come forward, you know. That's right. They'd really like to hammer this down. That's right. They want to know exactly uh, what kind of damage a wang can do. Yeah. Yeah. To that crotch. To that crotch crescent area. <laughs> Just saying. Okay. Second story. An investigation into the unexplained death of a man found after a Derbyshire pub crawl. Police are investigating the unexplained death of a man in his 70s the day after he visited a number of pubs. Okay. Okay. Pub crawls are fun. Pub crawls are fun. Derbyshire police were called into the home in Goit Road, Whaley Bridge, on Saturday afternoon, August 12th, following reports that a man had been found dead. The force currently isn't treating the death as suspicious, but they're appealing for more information about the circumstances of his death. The man's family has been informed, by the way. It's believed he visited a number of pubs in the Whaley Bridge area on Friday evening, August 11th. Police think he walked home after leaving the cock <laughs> at around 11 15 p.m anytime you leave the clock cock you want to get home safe that's right i used to tell anybody i brought home with me that hey when you leave the cock get home safe mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anytime you've been drinking from the cock oh yeah yeah you want to make sure safety's number one at the cock when you're pulling when you're pulling out from the cock you yeah. want to make sure that you get home safe yeah, when you're having that sex on the beach at the cock. Yep. You know, with the slippery nipple file back, you want to you wanna make sure you are safe. The cock likes to be safe. Yes, yeah. The cock makes sure they, they wrap it all up and send you home safely. They serve it to you stiff at the cock. They do, they do. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard. It's hard liquor at the cock. That's right. So yeah. when they're serving it to you hard at the cock, make sure that you've got a designated driver to get you home safe. And, and trust me, trust me, you're going to be there for a while at the cock. They don't, they don't allow you to leave early. Sometimes no, they, no premature leaving the cock. Sometimes they hammer you so hard at the cock that you could die. Oh yeah. 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 So make sure again, you've got a friend to get you home after you've gotten hammered at the cock. Oh yeah. It's always a great time at the cock with a friend. That's right. I recommend the pound kick. <laughs> Police said we're working hard to trace the man's movements in the last 24 hours before his death at the cock. So they just got to jump on the cock, don't they? Find yeah. out what's going on. They absolutely do. And we would like to hear from anyone who may have noticed a man with injuries or something that didn't seem quite right after he had been at the cock. At the cock. You don't want to be injured on the cock. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's bad. Some people try to suck it up. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. At, when they've been at the cock. 
Yeah. Other people will just push forward and take the cock as hard as they can. Sometimes it is, they like to, you know, do some blow at the cock. But don't get injured. No, no. By the way, uh, here's a picture of the cock right here. It's a cock pick. I'm just showing it to Bruiser. Oh, that's a nice cock. Yeah, thank you. Um, I heard of, they play the stroke a lot there by Billy Squire. They do. It's actually the theme of the cock. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, a lot of women don't like to see pictures of the cock. No. But I no. find it appealing. This is actually a decent picture of the cock. I love that its address is 6969 Easy Street. Yeah. It is, a, it is a nice address. Yeah. It's you a know, lovely cock. Yeah, it is a lovely cock, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty full. Look at it. I mean... Look at it, you, it's a full white cock. That's yeah. the biggest white cock I've seen. It is. <laughs> there you go. Can fit all, you know what? I heard it's a it's a it, Derbyshire, I believe, is a navy town. So there's probably a lot of semen in that cock. <laughs> it really sucks when it's two in the morning and they eject you from the cock. <laughs> yes, it does. Our next story, Bruiser. <laughs> a t-shirt cannon was used in a prison contraband scheme at Limestone Correctional Facility in Alabama. So many questions. <laughs> How the hell did they get a t-shirt cannon into a prison? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This is even better. Two people were arrested near the Limestone Correctional Facility for trespassing late Wednesday night. According to the Alabama Department of Corrections, a vehicle was reported near Nick Davis Road. When officials responded, the vehicle fled the scene and started a pursuit, ending in a nearby neighborhood cul-de-sac. The two individuals, now identified as Alvin Andrews and Ladarius McDade, were arrested. According to officials, McDade has been released from Bullock Correctional Facility in February. Uh, during a search of the pursuit path, agents located a blue duffel bag and a T-shirt cannon. <laughs> the, the bag contained two cylinder-shaped packages wrapped in black tape, a night vision monocular, and an extra CO2 cartridge. Okay. They were shooting shit over the wall. Yep. <laughs> Both individuals were transported to the Limestone County Detention Center, where they were both charged with promoting prison contraband, trespassing about prisons, and attempting to elude. I want you to imagine here for a second. Two guys standing at a prison wall. And here's a picture right here in the grass. of. <laughs> That's a huge t-shirt cannon, too. Isn't, isn't it? Okay, so these guys are standing outside a prison wall going, all right, so we got to get Pookie his shit. <laughs> All right, here's He's what he yard time in five minutes. Let's get ready. Here we go. He ordered a big bag of Coke, stuff it in the cannon. Here we go. <coughs> and we made it. All right. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Next thing cake with a file. <coughs> yeah, we got it. Okay. What's the next thing he's got on the list? Prison pussy. <laughs> a what? Pocket pussy. <clears throat> a what? Flashlight. They be going hard. A flashlight, man. A flashlight. Why a flashlight? Would they be going hard on on little little man on little man in in the in the prison? They need a flashlight. But I gotta clear the guard tower. You gotta what? I gotta clear the guard tower. Is it gonna fit in that cannon? Try it. I need a ramrod. All right, hold on. All right, ready. 
Oh shit, I hit the guard. <laughs> go, 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 man, go. go. <laughs> I mean, come on. Shooting stuff out of a t-shirt cannon over the wall of the prison? No one's going to see or hear that. No. <laughs> Those things are loud. They are. I, hey, how much PSI do you think I need to clear that wall? <laughs> and then you're trying to measure, you know, the... The, the arc and the distance. Yeah, the wind. It's just stupid. And finally... At least, they, at least they use black saran wrap to wrap it. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's uh, and by like the, I can see it at night. By the way, I'll show you the picture of the two geniuses that, uh, if, if it'll come up here, that's what she said. At least these, these are their eyes. <laughs> it won't oh, there pop. it is. Yeah, right. they, they yeah. are not the brightest. See, again, kids are getting dumb. Their kids are getting dumb, that's for sure. They're youngins, that's for sure. Uh, but they thought a T-shirt cannon would uh, would get them over the hump. So, hey, hey, homie, I got this T-shirt cannon. What should we do? Oh, let's go shoot Pookie some stuff. <laughs> He's been asking for it. <laughs> By the way, uh, you think we can shoot him over a bottle of rum? <laughs> no, no, that won't work. And finally, our last story, dumb crime, stupid criminals. Police are looking for the owner of a runaway peacock in West Michigan. We go to Grant, Michigan, where police in Nuego uh, are looking for the public's help in locating an unusual fugitive. Yes, a brightly colored peacock is on the run and was spotted in the southern part of Nuego County. Saturday, August 12th, the Nuego County Sheriff's Office posted on social media about a wandering peacock that was spotted in the Grant area. They said, if you live in the Grant area and are missing a peacock, we would love to reunite you with your bird. <laughs> Just go to the zoo. That's where they all are. <laughs> the peacock was spotted around East 120th and South Walnut. If the bird is yours or you know who the owner of the escaped avian might be, contact Sergeant Tim Bailey at 231-689-5288. I'm not repeating the number. If you happen to ever stumble across a peacock, there are certain steps you need to take to ensure the colorful visitor remains safe. The Peacock Information Center recommends calling around the area to see who it might belong to or calling a local animal rescue or animal control or even reaching out to someone who raises poultry. <laughs> That's if you run into a peacock, <laughs> as opposed to running into peacock, which will cost you probably about nine ninety nine. Oh, I'll have to tell my peacock story tomorrow. On tomorrow's show, I got a great peacock story. All right, yeah, let's do that. That'll do it for today's dumb crime, stupid criminals bruiser. You got anything planned for the weekend? Yeah, I'm relaxing, doing nothing. There you go. Spending time with the uh, Mrs. Bruiser and the puppies. There you go. Yep, doing nothing. This weekend, I'm up at KNSI, knsiradio.com. Tomorrow on the big show, Supernatural News. So tune in for that. That'll do it for today's Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. Thank you so much for tuning in to the best in true crime podcasting. This has been True Crime Tuesday. <laughs>